Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Sean Ankara. Marler, I'm a man of my word. I come to you looking like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. Uh, just got my driver's permit. Um, learner's permit. My learner's learner's permit. Uh, looking forward to being able to, to hit the open road uh, eventually one day. I'm, why is there so much like? Why was there so much confusion on this bet? Because we, I, I listened back to it. I can understand why there's confusion. So it okay. started. It started differently than it ended. It started okay. basically as a. You don't think somebody's going to score more than 30 points in the SEC championship, yeah. Connor. Why don't you bet your beard on it? I realized we should have just made this a beard bet in general. Yeah. So where one of us has to shave our beards, both of us have beards, whatever. But it ended up being more of a... And I, the way that I phrased it at the end was, all right, if Georgia wins, then I'll shave my beard. If LSU wins, then you have to tell the Shreveport story. But because it wasn't there finalized was no on those way. terms... Yeah. Okay. Because that's why I shaved my beard. That's why I said, you okay. know what, I'm I'm wrong. I muddied the waters too much. Right. I deserve crap for not being able to properly lay out how well, a bet no, is supposed to that, go. I could easily see, and at that point, we had already like we had already been drinking. But like I I don't I, like I, somebody was I was trying to explain it to somebody, and I was like, like just bottom line, the Shreveport story is going to come out. It's going to come out. It's it's, it's a matter of time. It's going to come out. But it, but what I was trying to explain to somebody was like because there was like. Like all these like technicalities, I feel like people were trying to get me on. They're like, "You said this, and it should have been this." Blah blah. And I was all I kept thinking was that I didn't want to hurt Georgia fans' feelings. But there's no way a story that I have not been legally allowed to share for important eight, to know. Yeah, legal. eighteen years for eighteen years. We're not supposed to share this. There's like there's a very select few people that know this story. There's no way I would have bet that. You know what? If Georgia loses, I'll tell the story as a seven point underdog against LSU. There was there was no way that was going to happen. But It'll happen. It'll be a Christmas gift for you guys. It's going to happen at some point in the next few weeks, I'm sure. I had a few people that said, what did he look like when he had the beard? Uh, and then that was a little reminder of, oh, yeah, we do this for a living podcasting. And even though we're FaceTiming right now, it's still, yeah, yeah, that's still a bit of an unknown. But clean shaven, I am here today, at least for the time being. We have a lot to get to today. Even though we don't have any games to preview necessarily, there is obviously the Heisman Trophy that's on Saturday that's going to Joe Burrow. We just recorded an interview with Cheek... Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, the Cheek Bowl, uh, the wow. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl president and CEO, Gary Sutton. Yeah, seriously. I'm, I've gone back to 16-year-old Connor, apparently, in every way, shape, and form. We've got a lot of other things that we want to get to. The coaching hires that were announced on Sunday and on Monday in the SEC that we're going to hit on, of course. We're going to also do something that we've, I think it's officially an annual tradition to do this, the bowl excitement rankings in the SEC. That's something that we're going to do as well. We've got fourth and wrong. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. <laughs> we should have, just real quick, we should have let Allie weigh in on the bowl excitement rankings because I asked her, I was like, you know, we can go down to Orlando for the uh, the Citrus Bowl. What did Allie say about Orlando? She's She goes, I would rather stay here by myself. Wow. And I was like, I was like, wait, you, we could go watch the game and blah, blah, blah. It would be a lot of fun. And she got was a place like, to stay, man. Yeah, she was like, I, I would rather just stay. I would rather just stay here. I don't want to. She's like, I don't really care about Orlando. And I was like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Notice how she's she not waits wrong. For, she waits for me to child. leave. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I am a grown adult. There are plenty of things to do. You don't in look Orlando. like it. The, Burn! True. Very true. I can't even come back from that. But there are a lot of things to do in Orlando, the city beautiful, that have nothing to do with Disney, believe it or not. And yeah, despite the fact that... Boy bands I, and exactly. racing lights on the bottom of a, of a Toyota Celica. 
This is Orlando, not Jacksonville. Come on, get that out of your That's mouth. That's fair. Or Tampa. <laughs> Let's talk about our friends at Sweet Hop. Just because the SEC Championship's over doesn't mean that you guys don't still need to get this sweet experience. Bowl season's coming up. College season is coming to a close, but there's still time to catch your team in a bowl game. Lineups are set, and all you need is your ticket into the big game. Whether you're hopping on a plane to go see Clemson take on Ohio State in the desert at the Fiesta Bowl, packing up for the beach to watch Florida play Virginia in the Orange Bowl, or hitting up the city, your city, to watch national champion contender LSU match up against Oklahoma for the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Seeing a college game in a pro stadium is the ultimate fan experience. Pro stadiums are chock full of amenities, and they have the best vantage points. The suites at a pro stadium take that up to a whole new level. Suites were made for discerning football fans who want to not only see every play, they want us not only see every play call, but also want comfort, fine food, and access to an elevated experience. Our friends at Sweet Hop will and can set you and your group up with the ultimate experience and a VIP suite for your bowl game. Suites comfortably seat groups of 12 to 40 people and include special access to VIP parking, extra wide seats, big screen TVs, premium catering, and lots of other lobster perks. Yes, lobster, shrimp, um, crab cakes, whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Not to mention getting to skip those long lines to the restroom onto the concourse. Uh, don't just see the game. Sweet the game. They came up with that. Sweet the game. That's like their it. little little thing. Uh, if you are ready uh, to live this sweet life, visit sweethop.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com to book the experience of a lifetime before it's too late. So, your team didn't make it to a bowl game this year? That's okay, too. Uh, did you know that Sweet Hop can hook you up with suites at other events and venues as well, from concerts and pro sports to Supercross and family events? Sweet Hop is the largest luxury box and VIP suite marketplace in the world for private and shared suites. They have the best selection for stadiums and arenas nationwide. With Sweet Hop, there are no hidden fees, and you'll have access to our friendly, knowledgeable, personalized service team of suite experts. Our partners at Sweet Hop are offering $500 American dollars off a private suite purchase for college bowl games exclusively for Saturday Down South listeners. All you got to do, you're going to use that promo code SDS for $500 off any private suite. That's sweethop.com, S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com. Use that promo code SDS, $500 off. Discount is valid on any purchase of ten grand or more. Just casual, ten grand or more, no big deal. I will say one thing that was cool about, the, or another thing that was cool about the suite, and shout out to Candler once again because I've been like, I've been deathly ill all week, and uh, and I've, I've been like meaning to like go back and say like a thank you thing on Facebook to everybody. I want to say one more thing, shout out to Candler who, who gave us a, a peek into how awesome the sweet life is, um, and you know, and our friends at Sweet Hop as well because they're not playing around. When they talk about amenities. At one point, there was a line for the bathroom, and I walked outside to go to the other bathroom. Which is even bigger and nicer somehow. They just had a, a, a thing of cakes. They're just mm-hmm. wheeling around a cart full of cakes. Yeah. Had a, I mean, like, it was incredible. That's that's the the life that we all dream of is being able to go to the bathroom and get a cake on our way back from the bathroom. Yeah, pretty much. There you go. We've got Bull Mania this year. Last year, Bull Mania was not exactly your forte. Um, it was a Did bit of a struggle. Well? Not did, did not do well. Ended up very oh. very low in the standings on that. That's okay. Did I pick, did I pick Malik Willis? To yes, okay. you did. You did. I remember. <laughs> I totally remember you People did that. People don't forget. It was so weird. <laughs> We've got Bowl Mania again this year. We're gonna set that up. We're gonna post a link to it in yeah. our Facebook group. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We know even more of y'all are gonna want to get involved this year. We've got to be doing confidence pool, right? I think that's the only way to go for Bowl Mania. I don't have a lot of confidence. 
Wow. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, be, I'm a beaten man right now. I've got something in my body. I don't know what it is. We're both a little beaten. I'm, I'm lost without my beard. You're lost being sick right sick, now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but Bowl Mania is going to be fun. We'll, we'll do something special. Like we'll, we'll obviously bring the winner onto the podcast like we did yep. last year. Um, I know last year we had we had two people come on. We had, and we had Tommy O'Rourke from from Australia come on. Just an absolute legend out there. Down under. We might have to get him. We might have to get him back on just so I can hear him say, "Texpitas." He said it the best of anybody. Still working on good. that ad deal with our guy Tommy O'Rourke. Yeah. We've got some reactions that we need to to go over because when we recorded late Saturday night, we did not know who the Arkansas coach was going to be. We did not know who the Mizzou coach was going to be. We know right now. That Sam Pittman has hit the ground running, and Eli Drinkwitz has also hit the ground running. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, he has hit the ground. He has definitely he hit is, the ground. He has hit the ground stumbling. Two, uh, two very different backgrounds for both of these coaches. Let's start with uh, with Arkansas. Oh, and by the way, buried the lead completely. Don't say honest. it. I'll say it. First right, off, Sam Pittman. Yes, sir. That guy. That guy from all the Georgia videos, he is going to be in Arkansas. He loves himself from Arkansas, which means one thing and one thing only, guys. The dream lives on. Hey, man. Guess who's back? <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Matt Luke. Tell a friend. Y'all, you know my offensive line coach, Georgia football, Matt Luke? Come on, Matt Luke. He's back. God, I'm excited. I am excited. The, the, the Matt Luke impression lives on. We have another, at least, well... Once he gets fired, we have a year worth of, of Matt Luke impressions. I can't wait. I'm excited. And I, we, I love the fit for Sam Pittman. Can we get uh, – before we t- we're going to talk a lot of Sam Pittman stuff. Before um, before he even coaches the game there, Georgia fans want him to be calling plays instead of James Coley, right? There's no way James Coley is the offensive coordinator next season. There's absolutely no way. When are they going to do it then? When, when would that move happen? I don't know, but there's no way that that Kirby Smart could be that tone deaf to a fan base and not fire James Coley. They they were awful and they only got worse. And I made excuses for him for most of the season. I was like, We're, it'll turn, they'll turn it on. They're gonna turn it on here in a minute. No, no, they're not. I'm trying to think of an example. It's it's like you remember, remember when remember in Ricky Bobby when he he comes back from injury or when he like thought he's, he th- thought he was on fire and he starts driving again. He's like, woo! I'm gonna open it up. I'm going to open it up. And he's like, how fast? He goes, like, 26 miles an hour. That That is James Coley this entire season. Like, he, he's going to open it up. Like, no, it's, it's going to be another trap draw on second and ten. Here we go. I tend to think that if coaches were going to fire coordinators, they would have done so already. Oh, you can think about it in a logical way all you want, Connor. I'm just letting you know James Coley's not going to be calling plays next year. He's not going to be the coordinator. Okay. Maybe we should do a beard bet on that as well. That'd be good. <laughs> Uh, but Matt Luke is staying in the SEC. That is good news. The guy whose position he is taking, Sam Pittman, going to Arkansas. Big loss, yeah. obviously, for Georgia. Somebody that Georgia fans know very, very well has been a key staple of the Kirby Smarter the last four years. And <laughs> he's best, their best recruiter. He's their best recruiter. I mean, it's, the dynasty's no crumbling before it ever began, guys. Stop cackling, you. Stop cackling. Georgia fans are very sensitive right now. I can't blame them. It's a very tough time. It's been kind of a tough weekend. He's a very tough loss. And not somebody that I I think Georgia fans were sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, we got to worry about Sam Pittman taking a a head coaching job in the SEC. Like, what a weird thought that is. They were asking Kirby throughout the year what kind of, you know, if if, if jobs opened up, if he – if he would be a good fit, he said, "I think he'll make a great off. I think he'll make a great head coach one day." I was and I was surprised when I heard it because you, you think of him just as this guy who fits as a piece in the puzzle. He's not the puzzle. You know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. 
he's a guy that like is is a I don't know cog in the wheel is that a thing is that a real is that a saying yeah cog that, that's yeah, been cool. my nickname back uh, college I had a college professor who called me cog yeah. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about Bama. That's what we do on this podcast. Um, no, I'm kidding. But like the, the Sam Pittman thing, that guy was. I, I love those videos. Whenever you'd see Sam Pittman pop up on Twitter, and it would just be like, "Yes, sir." I mean, and that was cool to see because you knew you knew Georgia was about to get some other five star that you like you didn't know they were getting or whatever. Um, you know, I think I think that guy he obviously had a very very special relationship with the the state of Arkansas. Excuse me, and the University of Arkansas, and it's cool to see somebody like that get a. In the same way we talked about Matt Luke before and Coach O, it's cool to see a guy like that get an opportunity like this, and you could tell it means something to him because he was tearing up at his press conference, and um, he didn't show up in a neck brace, and it's, it's good to see stuff like that at, at an Arkansas press conference. He grew up an Arkansas fan too, and if you yeah. haven't listened to uh, the Hog Pod yet, that Bo Mattingly puts together. Uh, very, very strong. I know, like, they're obviously, like, considered... I, I, I mean, they're not yeah, a competitor. Yeah, don't listen to it. They do something different, but uh, great, great work with this awesome interview with Sam Pittman. If you haven't listened to it and you're an Arkansas fan, go listen to it. It is tremendous. And just kind of the more you look, you think about this hire, there are a few dynamics here that I think Arkansas fans have processed in a very quick period of time. One of which being Hunter Gerichek wanted to go get a big-name coach. That was that was his thing. He was going to go out there. He was going to make a splash. Everybody knew about the everybody knew about the Kiffin stuff that was coming out, and you know there was Mike Leach reports, all those different things. Ultimately, those guys didn't want to come to Arkansas. Otherwise, they would be there right now. Sam Pittman wanted to come to Arkansas. That and that's more important, I think. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. And you know, as we talk about Coach O winning all these National Coach of the Year awards. I'm not saying that Sam Pittman's going to become Coach O, but Coach O wanted to be the guy at LSU and had yeah. this passion that you saw what drove him. And he wasn't the splashy candidate because of his background, much like Pittman, obviously. Pittman's somebody that's never been a coordinator, never been a head coach at the FBS level. We understand all of those things. But Coach O came in with the right attitude and built the right staff around him and succeeded as a result of that. Obviously, yeah. Arkansas is a very, very different situation than LSU. Can't stress that enough. But I think there are a lot of things that if you're an Arkansas fan, you're encouraged by what you've seen from Sam Pittman already with his ability to keep those in-state recruits, three in-state recruits that he's been able to keep on board as well, which is a big part of this whole transition oh, process. That's it's, huge. It's important to be able to do that. And I think Sam Pittman, you need somebody that's going to come in with the right attitude, somebody with a blue-collar mindset who realizes, look, I can't just sit here and spew cliches. Cliches aren't going to turn this program around. It's got one SEC win in the last three years. It's going to take somebody that knows that this is going to be a grind. He has said repeatedly, look, I'm in this for the long haul. My wife and I, we're retiring here. We, we bought property here a few years ago. We're retiring here. That's that's our plan. Like This has always been kind of like what yeah. I've had in the back of my mind. I've and always wanted to live in this. Arkansas. I, I mean, he's he's had the, the resources to do it, credit to him, and now he's going to get that chance. I, and I'm kidding, by the way, Arkansas. Because I know the Lake of the Ozarks. I know the Ozarks in general. I know Arkansas is a very beautiful place to live, from what I've heard. I've never, I've never been to Arkansas. I would live in the Brett Bielema Chad Morris house, too, which, you know, yeah. is pretty sweet. That right? thing looked pretty awesome, man. Uh, no, like it, 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 I I just think that there's it says something where, you know, we had this we had this uh, move a couple of years ago where it was, you know, you had like, like when Saban went to Bama, it was like, we need... Somebody that knows how to win championships. We knew somehow we need to have somebody that knows how to build something from the ground up, right? And you saw a couple places that try to do stuff like that. 
Then you had this whole coach and waiting thing where it was like, you know, you're going to have a guy you're just grooming. You're grooming behind a coach that's going to be a Hall of Fame coach or at least one title there. Like we had Muschamp at Texas. You had Jimbo at, at Florida State. And Kirby and, in a way. I mean, Kirby differently. Not not coach and waiting at Bama necessarily, but kind of was groomed in a similar fashion at Bama. To then leave Alabama and then try to take his recruits and coaches? I, I, I don't like that example, Connor. How about, I'll, how about Dabo I'll, I'll keep moving on. <laughs> Wait, Dabo with Clemson. Yeah, Dabo's kind of considered coach and waiting. You consider, yeah, Jimbo coach and waiting at Florida State. I mean, guys who were who were assistants there and then then promoted oh. in a way. Yeah, that's all I mean. I don't think Dabo was a coach and waiting. He was an interim coach that they 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 gave the job to, which ended up being like probably one of the best jobs by any AD ever because like he was not. I didn't think he was going to get that job, but he's done a fantastic job there anyway. Anyway, moving on. But so with with this now, I think you're you're starting to see. Maybe like a, a turn in in how ads are going out to find themselves a leader of their program and a leader of the men in that program, and it's somebody that that it means something to. Because like you've seen enough, I think that was the bad rap Saban had for all, early on was like you know he's he's just all, he's going to leave as soon as he gets another opportunity, or you know, and these other places that are kind of I'm not I don't want to say mid major by any means, but I'm saying mid level power five schools that aren't on the same level necessarily as like the elite programs or they're not top 25 teams every every single year right like they don't have they haven't had that staying power in the last five ten years maybe um and i'm using that loosely because i i'm not i for one have said several times on this podcast how how rich the tradition is in arkansas and how much people care about that but i love the fact that we're starting to see a shift in the idea of let's go get a guy that's not going to be here for for three years and then leave Let's go. Let's go find a guy that this means something to, right? This is not a stepping stone. Let's go find a guy this means something to. This isn't going to be like a notch on his belt. This isn't going to be just like you know a bullet on his on uh, or you know a, a bullet point on his resume. This is going to mean something. This is like somewhere where he wants to build and grow and and cultivate a program and then stay. So I I, I love it. In the same way that we talked about, Jeremy Pruitt's future wasn't going to be determined by how the coaching search went. Yeah, I think the same could be true for Sam Pittman. It's not, oh, they whiffed on all of these guys, and now he's some consolation prize who's never going to succeed. That's just the it's the initial reaction. It's just not considered a splashy hire. There are people who are going to question it, and rightfully so. And if he doesn't prove himself, and if he struggles with some of those in-game decisions as a first-time head coach, then obviously those issues are going to come up, and we're going to circle back. I would... Like like you're saying, I would just say that that doesn't mean that there's necessarily a ceiling on what he can do. And if he goes in with the right attitude, that changes things. Now, you bring up the the exit part about this whole deal. And Hunter Juracek made it a point to say, look, current buyouts are stupid. They're ruining college football. They're yes, making great. it so that athletic directors are strapped and that they're caught in these these horrible positions that nobody can do anything with. Jimmy South Sexton Carolina. would pro- Jimmy Sexton would agree to disagree with that, but that's neither yeah. here nor there. So there's an incentive in this contract more than just hey, you know, we're going to give you the, you know this buyout, this certain buyout. What what he's doing is structuring the contract so that if if Sam Pittman was fired and if they had a winning record, he'd get seventy five percent of his remaining salary. If he had a losing record, he'd only get 50% of that. That's a pretty good motivator because of the difference yeah. that can make in potential money. Because if you look at the way that contracts end up being backloaded, you have to have a guy in a contract for the next four years in this day and age in recruiting. That could actually still work out to be a nice chunk of change. So interesting move to see that. I just keep coming back to Arkansas needed an outside-the-box hire. They've seen what it's looked like this decade with kind of going the more traditional route. They've poached a Power 5 coach. They've gone with the group of five riser, and it hasn't worked out. And you know what? 
you got to be willing to mix it up because the strategy that you, that you just had with, oh, we're going to get this group of five offensive minds, got all these great connections, and then we're going to pay John the Don Chavis one point whatever million dollars to make him the eighth <laughs> highest paid assistant coach in the country. It, it didn't work. It ultimately did not work. So you start over, you go in a different direction, and Sam Pittman is that different direction for Arkansas. Yeah. Let's go on to Mizzou because this was a search that I thought was going to go wildly differently. Wildly differently. Yeah. Thought that based on the comments that you heard from Jim Sterk that they were going to want to make a big splash. Talked about the declining ticket sales. Thought they were going to try and do something like what Ole Miss did with Lane Kiffin. Realized Lane Kiffins don't grow on trees. But ultimately, Mizzou decides Eli Drinkwitz is going to be our guy. Appalachian State coach. He was only there for one year. Was previously the NC State coordinator. Everybody in Mizzou knows his bio by now. Only 36 years old. All these different things. I thought it was weird that... This was ultimately a Mizzou job that you're thinking in the beginning, all right, they, they have they have some favorable things working for them. This stadium renovation, the fact that they get yeah. to be in the SEC East. You know, you think that Jim Sterk is going to be all in on this hire. They give them $4 million bucks, which I get, and that's, that's good, that's competitive in the SEC. What I sort of question is, Mike Leach just signed an extension at Washington State. You know what he's making next year? What? $4 million bucks. Oh, that's cool. So that's, that's, that's an interesting, like, thought because if you were going to be conservative in terms of the the list of candidates you were looking at and apparently this list of candidates was very narrow it was group of five focused why did why wasn't that at least entertained at some point because it doesn't feel like it really was and i don't know from mike leach's end if you know columbia just wasn't as attractive as staying in pullman i I don't know if that's the case at all but it just seemed weird that they settled on that type of candidate for four million dollars given how you know little head coaching experience he actually has I mean, I I kind of I could have. I mean, Mizzou's never made a splash hire. I mean, it's they always somebody that was, that was from Mizzou. It's been in the family and all that kind of stuff. Like they they have they have always criminally underpaid their coaches. But my and, so my real quick before, and I'll and I'll let I don't mean to cut you off. I'll I'll let you go on with this. I would just say on that you know Gary Pinkle was hired back in two thousand one. They essentially had to bring Barry Odom on board after the you know the protest and the fallout with they that. They didn't it was have much to, but they did. I mean, that would have been a messy situation to open it up to the open market. They thought they had a guy right there that was going to be willing to take it. Yeah. So it wasn't a true open search like this one was. So in terms of like the, the limitations that they probably had, I, I think that it's it's tough to judge given that you know the SEC network money hasn't really come in until that you know 2014. And you know, money is just so much different now than it was yeah. 20 years ago per se. Well, I'm I'm saying that they're not gonna they're not gonna go out and, and find a big name hire, and and I don't think a big name hire wants to go there anyway. I mean, but just bottom line, like I did, like them hiring a group of five uh, coach, like the writing was on the wall from that. I feel like pretty early on, I, I thought Leach would be like a, a a decent get, but like if you're gonna if if you're gonna go coach at Washington State versus coaching here, like. I mean, what what's the difference? Like, like you're you have you can pretty much coach spend like the rest of your career at Washington State, and the 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 expectations are already where they're at. I mean, like for whatever reason in the SEC, even at programs that have never really achieved a whole lot, the expectations are always much much higher than anywhere else, and and they're gonna they're gonna chew you up and spit you out if you don't if you don't you know perform. And I think at Mizzou they actually have pretty reasonable expectations, all things considered, even for a team that went to Agreed. a pair of SEC championships in this decade, which there aren't a ton of programs that can say that. 
So Drinkwitz is somebody that has kind of come in, like had a little bit of this meteoric rise. I mean, if you saw the press conference, Marler, you look older than he does. I'll well, just you know, say Connor, that. I will say, I, there's a good nothing way. I love more than you bringing up my physical appearance when we talk about stuff in college football. So yeah, absolutely. He's 36, I'm 33. Um, he has glasses, so I definitely see how you can make that uh, mm-hmm. that comparison. Um, yeah, go, I look I look older than him. Go on. He rocks a Kirby visor. Yeah, very very this is a similar. Really in depth report that we had days to to bring up any of his actual <laughs> accomplishments. You chose to bring up. Me Do you want to bring up? Like, okay, we'll bring up his actual accomplishments. There you He's go. somebody that at NC State he had he had offenses that improved every year. If you look back at his track record, everywhere that he has been, he's been part of winning teams. I'm going to give him likes credit to drink for soda. He only uh, Miss Lippy's car is green. There you uh, go. Obviously, everybody knows what he did at App State this past year. Going to a program that obviously was in good shape with Scott Satterfield, built that into one of the best group of five places in the country. But still, to have the season that he had, obviously super impressive. Young offensive mind, wants to run this up-tempo offense. is going to look similar to what Gus Malzahn ran, ran because, hey, guess what? He was on Gus's staff back at Springdale <laughs> High School. I just, small I, world. Like, Pittman, when you, when you hire Kiffin, when you hire Pittman, and you hire... Drinkwitz, and, and I'm just saying this purely as like as from the comedy standpoint of it or the humor standpoint of it is, I put this on Twitter yesterday. It, Pittman looks like he used to be a former offensive lineman. Oh yeah. Kiffin looks like a former quarterback. Mm-hmm. Drinkwitz looks like a former like NFL blitz high score holder. Like he oh, yeah. like he's like does not look. And and then you know my biggest. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and crap on the the Mizzou hire at all because I, you guys, I I love Mizzou. I have several friends that went to Mizzou, and and I've said it a bazillion times. Like I really, really like Mizzou. I like their fans. I love everything they stand for. Um, I think they get crapped on unfairly in the SEC. What I did not like about this hire is that you bring in a guy that doesn't really look the part. So he better he better perform, or you're going to continue to be the laughing sock of the SEC for w- whether that's warranted or not. They just that's just how it's going to be. Yep. All M- Mizzou. Mizzou came into the SEC in their first year in 2012. Now I'm going to get heated because they get they get crapped on all the time from other fans that are, and purely out of ignorance. Purely out of ignorance. They came in in 2012. Before that season started, they lost their top six, including their starting five offensive linemen. I talk about the injuries all the time. That is unheard of to go into a season and lose your entire offensive line. They go like four and eight in the SEC, and everyone's you know the Georgia thing is grown man football and blah 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 blah. What do they do next year? They come back, they win the division for two straight years, right? No one seems to remember that. They they have had their ups and downs. They, they've had a whole lot of off the field stuff that happened at the university that's kind of affected their their all of their their athletic department and their entire you know like all their programs. But what bothers me about this is. You still have people bringing up the fact like they shouldn't be in the SEC, they shouldn't be in the East, and you go out and hire a guy that he definitely doesn't look the part, so he's got to perform. He comes into his press conference and he recycled his own acceptance speech from less than a year ago. And I'm not, I'm not saying that like, listen, I I hope there's nobody besides people that live in Como or the in the state of Missouri that hope that this guy is is successful more than me. I really hope Missouri does great things with him. That is not the that is not the start you want of your head coach coming in and recycling his own accept, like you know acceptance speech from a year ago when he was at App State. We're gonna come in if you don't know what I'm talking about. He came to the podium yesterday and he said, "Make no mistake about it. Our our stated goal is to win the Sun Belt. Con- sorry, to win the Southeastern Conference <laughs> East Division." It's like, dude, come on, man. Like that's not that's unacceptable at this level. You know, uh, in the office episode when uh, they read the threat level midnight script 
and it's Twigged. supposed to, yeah, Twig. It's it's basically Twig. It's all over again. Um, he somehow missed that. Uh, it was essentially like the Bryce Harper thing as well from last year, where he said, yeah. you know, bring the title back to DC." So I, I think that right now, if you're you can justify all these hires. I think if you're a fan of one of these respective teams, here's an interesting question that I'm interested to get your take on. Who is the first of these coaches that includes Lane Kiffin as well to get to eight wins in a season? Well, Ole Miss's schedule next year is pretty tough. They open with Baylor. Yeah, and then they hit like Auburn, Florida, and I don't know, they get three in a row back to back to back. So I'm not going to say Ole Miss. Um, well, do you think Mizzou's winning eight games next year? I, I could see them winning eight games next year because they're they. The way they usually have, like the first month of that schedule, they get a guaranteed four wins, usually, you know. Um, who's the other one? It's Ole Miss or <laughs> it's not Arkansas. I'll take I'll take Mizzou because they play in the East. So Mizzou's going to get to eight wins with uh, Eli Drinkwitz. I'm, yep. I'm excited to see it. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little little outside blood every once in a while. I support that. You know, I've supported that before with Moorhead and all those things. But that's all you support, Connor. That is not all. You I just support. want people to be just like you. I support wine rolls. I support clouds. <laughs> I support a lot of things. <laughs> clouds. I support the I support the Joe Burrow well, Heisman movement as real, well. Let's just get a seamless transition into this. But can we also talk about when Coach O was on Sports Center and and how I love Coach O. I love Coach O, and, I, and he he deserves all the credit he's getting. But you can tell some of this like teenage angst, this little jaded, you know petty side of him that's like constantly trying to prove himself like he deserves to be on this level which he's on that level of like the elite coaches yep. I, exactly. I be, like he, he de- and listen and and again we don't i know that not everyone that listens to this podcast has been listening since the beginning of last year but your boy did a deep dive last year saying like here's all of his numbers here's why he deserves to have more than one more year going yep. into last season okay and he's done nothing but make me look even smarter now which is easy to do but i'm i appreciate him doing it when he came on to Sports Center on Sunday, and he's like, "Well, first off, uh, we we've been out here uh, first day we did. We we already been in two two houses recruiting. Well, we get it, dude. We get it. So are the other coaches, like we we totally get it. You don't have anything else to prove to us, man. You don't. You're gonna win a national title, maybe. Whoa, maybe. But like, you dude, you don't have to. You don't. We know you're working hard. We know you're a recruiter. You don't have to go out here and and, and prove yourself for these idiots. There you go. It's timing." It's two weeks away from the early signing period. Just reminding yeah. everybody what he's doing, the way that he's grinding. And, you know, maybe a little message to the bosses. He's got a new boss in town. Let's not forget yeah. about that. That's kind of an overlooked thing with this whole deal, with this whole LSU season. Is Scott Woodward is now the man writing checks. And Coach O got a raise last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he got another raise uh, coming up here. Yeah. Joe Burrow is going to win the Heisman Trophy. That much we know. Nothing is going to happen between now and then, including somebody looking up some old tweets from Joe Burrow. Don't get on the internet and do that, people. Don't get on the internet and do that. I regrettably say that. We'll they weren't that even that out. bad. Oh, he actually had bad tweets come out? Yeah. He didn't, it, was like, it was like several weeks ago. I don't even remember that. Oh. I just ignore that at this point. Yeah. want to provide some context here because I think this is... What do you think is... your bad tweets were? Hold on. <laughs> oh, I bet. I, I had bad tweets. Trust what the me, crap, not tweets. guys? Not tweets. Um, I hated I, the Hangover 3. I own the Hangover Three. It's not good. Jesus. Um, I have uh, I have old Facebook posts that I delete all the time because it comes up in the memories. Oh yeah. And I'll just delete those every single time they come up because I'm like, what was I saying 13 years ago when I did this? Or 12 man, years oh ago man. I know. Really that was a long night for me when I had to delete mine. Yikes. Um, 
So Burrow is going to become the first um, SEC Heisman winner since Derrick Henry 2015. He's going to be the first SEC quarterback to win the Heisman since Johnny Manziel, of course, in 2012. So the other day, I actually, I realized I listened back to this. I don't even know why I did this. Maybe it was because of a lack of sleep or whatever it was. I misspoke by saying that Joe Burrow was the first LSU offensive player to be invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Totally just blanking. All right, yeah, Billy Cannon, obviously. I meant to say maybe first offensive player in the last 50 years. Whatever it was, I misspoke. Incorrect, obviously. Um, the question I have is he going to get the most points possible of any Heisman ever? Meaning, is he going to have the big, the most overwhelming support to win this award that we've ever seen? I mean, that's. I mean, it could. I, like, I, I haven't kept up with it as much this year because it's so. It's it's not even an argument. Like, he's going to win. Um, so that's that's. I, but the, I bet he, I bet he doesn't. I bet he doesn't get the most ever because there, there's going to be people. You've seen this backlash all season long. Of, of like Fox and the Big Ten and all this other stuff and how they should be taken seriously. And I'll tell you what, if the Big Ten wants to ever, 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 don't don't sit here and cry to us about how we don't get like the SEC biased, they don't get taken seriously. You screwed yourselves on this one. You got you got two people from the same team invited to New York. How dare and you? Didn't, and didn't prop up just or no, uh, Jonathan Jonathan Taylor. That is a travesty. That kid Jonathan Taylor is a Wisconsin tailback. Right. So you're, you're saying that like the Big Ten didn't do a good no, job. No, because all we've heard all season long, is, and this is my opinion of what they did on Fox, is when they try to build this narrative of how the Big Ten's better than the SEC or how you know like the SEC's not as great as we thought they were, blah, blah, blah. They hitched their wagon to Ohio State and Ohio State only. And I've been here. Don't even. Don't, you know what? They had three people they were talking about on that one team that should be invited to New York, and not one of them has the same kind of career that Jonathan Taylor has had. And it is it is ridiculous that there's been no other team in this country that's had more hype hype on especially one player besides Joe Burrow than Chase Young in Ohio State. It is outrageous that, that both of them got invited and Jonathan Taylor didn't. You did it to yourselves. You did it to yourselves. I mean, it's it's two different programs. It's you know, it's it'd be like both the Big Ten, right? We, I know, we hear about like, like you don't think Jonathan Taylor like, they're gonna sit here and, and the entire time this this weekend they're gonna they're gonna build the same kind of narrative again about how you know there's there's Chase Young has been the most dominant player in college football and it's not even close and blah 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 they got two players from the same school invited they didn't get Jonathan Taylor invited how's that possible wait so who are, who are you expressing Fox Fox and the Big Ten. The Big Ten well, the should have done a better job of propping up Jonathan Taylor instead of covering only one team and specifically one player. I mean, Wisconsin has been on. You can go back and look. Wisconsin has been on a lot of these big, ten, these Fox Big Ten noon games. Like they right. have been there. How much with have you heard about Jonathan in. Taylor during those games from from guys like Gus Scott or whatever his name is versus Chase Young? All I've heard about is, is Gus Johnson. All I've heard about is Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Young. Even in the games I've watched where he's been like in on a half sack, like and it's that man again, Chase, mighty Chase Young. Like, dude, he's it's a half sack. They We've screw themselves. A- all I'm saying, and they're not going to win. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, everybody knows that. Jonathan Taylor should be invited to New York. Mm-hmm. The fact that they only invited four kids to New York is an absolute joke. It's it's a, it, The fact that they do this and invite anything less than five kids to New York is just, it's ridiculous. It shouldn't yeah. happen in this day and age, but it still does. As it relates to Burrow, the Chase Young factor is the reason that I don't think he's ultimately going to pass Reggie Bush for the most, the highest percentage of points possible. Reggie Bush got 91.77% of the points possible when he won yep. the Heisman Trophy. Allegedly won the Heisman Trophy back in 2005. We've been told to forget about that. The year later, Troy Smith actually won 91.63% of the that, Heisman Trophy. That, that right Go back and look at the numbers. They're not good. They're not Jesus. good. Jesus. Um, 
So, but I, I think that Burrow is ultimately not going to get to that level because there are going to be people who say the Chase Young thing. They want to make yeah. their stance and show that Chase Young deserved to be there. He deserved to, to, to be able to get love as the most dominant player in college football. Whatever Who's the best player saying. in the country? Chase Young. Who had the best season? Joe Burrow. You're going to hear it all weekend. Yep, you're going to. So I think that that um, ultimately we're going to see Burrow end up somewhere between Baker Mayfield at 86% when he won the Heisman in 2017 and that Reggie Bush number, 91.77%, which would still be incredibly good. I mean, Cam Newton yeah. got uh, Cam Newton got like 80% of the vote, and Cam Newton seemed like an overwhelming slam dunk. Andrew yeah. Luck was second, but it was clear that Cam Newton was going to win that, no question about it. That, that would be an unbelievable feat when you consider the type of talent that's going to be on display in New York. I mean, we're talking about Jalen Hurts having this year where he's going to the playoff. Justin Fields is having the year that everybody thought was possible for him. And then Chase Young having one of the best defensive seasons in the 21st century. And everybody's like, no, obviously, Joe Burrow is going to win the Heisman, and it's not close. That's how good of a year he's had. Yeah, I agree with that. Um I mean, yeah, it's it's a runaway, and like I wonder how many people have already mailed in their votes. This was the first time, and we've criticized this before for saying why would people submit their votes before the conference championship this year, especially. I actually would have no problem if you if if you submitted your vote before the conference championship because I said there was nothing that Joe Burrow should have done that should have swayed you. Because he was that far ahead in terms of you know Justin Fields and Chase Young that that should have swayed you by what you saw in the conference championship. Then obviously he lit up the Georgia defense, right. only strengthened his case by being able to do that. Yeah, you, you just kept waiting for one of these games where he. I I, I honestly am shocked he threw six through six interceptions because you kept waiting for one of these things. Like yeah, last year with two, it was like well, you know he lit up LSU and then he didn't have like the best game he could have had against Mississippi State. And then he mm-hmm. lit up uh, Auburn, but then didn't, you know, ha- like got injured and had like a tough game against like Georgia. You just kept waiting for something to happen where it's like, all right, at some point, Joe Burrow is going to face somebody that'll have enough tape, they'll have enough, you know, time to prep, or they'll have like the, the, the enough, you know, players on defense to kind of slow him down. Just slow him down. Nope. <laughs> he never, he never completed under 71% of passes in a game. It's unbelievable to look back on it. We've got so used to it at this point. It's still so exciting to see. The comparisons, we've made this before here, are Manziel in 2012, Tebow in 2007, Cam in 2010. And I was was wondering what the numbers were going to look like. The pre-Heisman numbers, as we sit here and we evaluate, things can change, obviously. If Joe Burrow goes on to win a national championship, that changes how we talk about him as well. But the yards from scrimmage per game, Ready for this? Burrow, first among that that group of four at 386. Manziel's at 375. Tebow at 330.9. Cam Newton at 310.8. Total touchdowns per game. This actually caught me a little bit off guard. Tebow was at 4.25 that year. Burrow at 3.9. Cam 3.77. Johnny Manziel 3.58. And then the yards per attempt, if you because those are basically your impact. It's not just pure passing. It's yeah. factoring what those guys did as rushing because that's the biggest difference is that all three of those quarterbacks, those non-Burrow quarterbacks, were running quarterbacks who put up big numbers on the yeah. ground as well. The yeah. yards per attempt, though, Burrow at 10.7%, Newton at 10.5%, Tebow 9.9%, Manziel at 85 only. And then if you want to even get into the, don't even get into the accuracy numbers because Burrow is setting records. No, that, get into it. As well. and, and, I'll, and get into it because I have something to say afterwards that 
It's going to be a clap back at Bama fans. Burrow's 77.9%, which That's is stupid. just ridiculous. It's unbelievable in this day and age to do that. Tebow was at 68%. Johnny Manziel, 68.3%. Cam was at 67 Those guys were all exceptional, all-world, efficient players. And Burrow is doing this on this level. You could even, last, last number that I want to bring up here, the total touchdowns. Burrow is sitting there through 13 games with 51 touchdowns. Tebow also had 51. He actually did his through 12 games. And then Cam was at 49 through 13 games. Manziel was at 43 touchdowns through 12 games. Burrow kills him in yards from scrimmage as well. It is Tebow so also interesting. Did a season where he lost several games. And that, exactly. was, that was a case where 2007 season where they, they had a great team. They had a great team. Um, this is, it's his first year as an actual starter, but that was also Urban Meyer trying to go out there and win himself a Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. You know, go like scoring seven touchdowns against South Carolina that year, not as impressive as some of the stuff. That, the, the, the consistency of what Burrow's going to do. And I, so I put a tweet out on Saturday during the game, and I said, I don't think we've ever seen an offense like this in the SEC. And That's fair. The, I'll let you know, I'll let all of you know right now that Chris Marler, the, the Bama homer, whatever you want to say, I was the person behind that tweet. And every single person that clapped back at me would be like, uh, how about Bama last year? How about Johnny Manziel? How about Cam Newton? How about Tim Tebow? All of you, I hope you you sat... Almost said something there. All of you, I hope you sat here and listened to what my my beardless friend Connor just said about all those numbers, because you're all wrong. We've never seen anything like this. We've never seen... And I tell you what... It says even more about this offense that it is so one-sided against the pass. Because it's not some, one of those things where it's like, okay, well, with Cam, I remember sitting here, and it was third and one or fourth and one with Cam, and he's 6'6", 250. You chalk it up. Give him the first down. Give him the first down, and we'll try it again for the next three plays. Because you're just not going to stop that. You're, you're absolutely not going to stop that. When you have somebody that was able to sit back here, drop back, and pass as, as, and with that kind of efficiency and put up those kind of numbers in the SEC – that is astounding. That is astounding that he was able to get for 13 straight weeks against the SEC and that those vaunted defenses, and he played at least six that were in the top 50, right? Yep. That is crazy to put up that those kind of numbers. And it, it just it speaks a lot to Coach O committing to the, the change in offense, Inzwinger being able to allow this young kid, Joe Brady, come in here and, and, and like kind of implement his style and his scheme and what he wanted to do. It definitely says a lot about what Joe Brady is able to do with that offense and these receivers, especially. But but Joe Burrow, it is it is crazy that we were able to see for 13 straight weeks somebody not one team was able to slow them down. And maybe it's that'll change in the national championship when they play Clemson or Ohio State and they were getting to the, the national championship. Just bottom line. But it's it's crazy. I sat here and kept saying they've never they haven't seen a defense like they've seen with Bama. They haven't seen a defense like they've seen with Georgia. You know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Not one iota. So. He is. He, this has been the best offense we have ever seen in the history of the SEC. And all of you old boomers out there that are also mad, I grew up watching the Spurrier years too. And it's not the same. It's flat out not the same. Because that was one of those things we said last week. He's kind of ahead of its curve where you didn't know how to stop it and they're getting five wide. It is 2019. We've seen so many different types of offenses. There, this is never. This is unprecedented. It is. It absolutely is. And I threw out this, uh, this tweet the other day just because – I don't want this to be thrown out there, and I realize we've got a we've got a lot of time, a lot of discussion to fill during this playoff. And Dabo is going to be doing his banging of the drum for Trevor Lawrence. I get it; his, that it's was. his guy. So during get up, um, Dan Orlovsky, who I actually like and respect a lot of his not takes, anymore. 
I really, I usually do. He and Marcus Spears. Marcus Spears, an LSU guy. He admits it. He wears it on his sleeve. That's who he is. Shout out to to Big Swagoo. Um, he is somebody who you know he'll criticize LSU if they're not doing well. But Dan Orlovsky came at Marcus Spears with the take that Trevor Lawrence has been the best quarterback in college football, and it hasn't been Joe Burrow. And then he said, look at the numbers. There's no numbers that support this. And then Dan Orlovsky had the nerve to try and say, in response to Marcus Spears, who pointed out the fact that LSU was playing all these quality teams and Clemson wasn't, Dan Orlovsky said, don't tell me about the competition. Well, let me then yes, thank you, tell Connor. you thank about you. the competition. Because... If you haven't seen it, Joe Burrow's numbers against top 20 defenses this year. I'm so proud 112, of you right now. 112 for 143. That's 78% passing. Pretty good. 1,356 yards. 12 to 1 TD die and T ratio. He's got 44 rushes for 179 yards. Pretty good numbers. Oh, and by the way, went 4 0 in those games. Here are Trevor Lawrence's numbers against top 20 defenses. This, this is year. good. Listen up here, guys. Zero for zero for zero yards. Mm. Zero, zero TD to INT ratio. Mm. Zero rushes for zero yards. Because believe it or not, competition actually matters. Hold on, Trevor Connor, Lawrence. Real quick, go back to. I'm, I'm typing those in. Crunch the numbers again. So zero for zero. zero okay, that uh, is that is zero. Zero yards. Okay. Um, zero zero TD to INT ratio. No interceptions, which is pretty good. Uh, zero rushes for zero yards against top twenty defenses for Trevor Lawrence. Um. I'm 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 looking at my calculator here, and it it, it is all zeros. It's just it's yep. just straight. Okay, so what you're telling me is the zero games that he played against good competition. Correct. That's okay. So that that is and here here's the deal. Clemson came. They finished the season thirteen games. They beat they beat a ranked team. They beat another ranked team technically, and they technically, kept them in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Virginia twenty fourth, twenty fourth. Um, they they beat the brakes off of them because Clemson's a very good team. They. These numbers, these numbers that, that Clemson's been able to put up this season, I said it a couple weeks ago, that defense is actually putting up, uh, they're, they're, I'm, I'm sorry, they have 50 yards less per game total defense than they were last year. I don't know if that number is still the same because this is like halfway through November. But, yeah, the competition does matter. And I tell you what, I've never wanted to swing on somebody like through my TV so much, that's not a fine bomb caller, so much as when Dan or- Orlovsky, or whatever you say his name is, told Marcus, sit down. Sit down, like he was, like he was about Spears to die laughing. Yeah, like yeah. he was about to prove a point. Like he was, like, like oh, you sit down. Let me tell, let me speak this truth. Let me, let me school you on something. And it was like, oh, I, okay. And now it's only getting dumber. It's like, and you know, piss me off more than anything. I don't know if you saw. It. I have video of it. I'll post it up on Twitter later today. If you watched it today, they went over on Sports Center. So not on Get Up, but on Sports Center when they went over their their Spearsies or something like that, or like the Spearsy Awards, and they said best coach in the country. Marcus Spears said Dabo. Dan Orlovsky said Coach Orgeron. Then they said top quarterback in the country. You want to take a guess who who they picked? <laughs> you, I mean, like you, it was like the this is like they were living or they were they were actually recording this in Sanford Stadium because it was so between the hedges, it was unreal. They said <laughs> flat out that Orlovsky said, he goes, I, I don't see how you don't give it to Burrow, and he starts giving off Burrow's numbers, and it was like this is such BS. So- like that, Little little peel behind the onion here. That tweet, sick brag to me because it ended up uh, Cody. It was I quote tweeted Cody Worsham's video yeah. of it, and my tweet got five thousand seven hundred likes or something like that. LSU Twitter ran with it. Yeah, they Thank should you have. for that. 
Um, I think I got 60 new followers off that tweet alone. Another are sick brag to me. Are you doing this right now? What are you doing? Uh, no, no, no. I'm making a point. I'm making a point. I promise. So Dan Orlovsky got in my mentions about that and started oh, responding to people love in there it. and started saying, oh, where was everybody a few weeks ago when I was complimenting Joe Burrow? Didn't hear all the LSU fans telling me how great my opinion was. The issue is you made a really dumb point and you got called out this time. You got right. caught with your pants down. Well, let's, just, be, let's just accept it. There's a difference between, like, when you say... Look at the stats. They back them up. I tell you what, I'm not, I am what some would say is an analyst or whatever you want to say, right? <laughs> but I don't, I am not an analyst like Dan Orlovsky. So I did like that somebody said, somebody did say like, well, you know what? Dan Orlovsky, uh, he looks like he's never played a, a down of football in his life. The dude played nine years in the NFL, right? Like he, he's, and he played the position. So I, I like to default. And I think he's smart. I think he made a really dumb point. And I think he shouldn't have worn those glasses because he looked, he looked like he was trying too hard to look smart after, after saying that, that coming out of his actual mouth. But what I will say is, when you when you say something and you go on national television, and you say, "Look at the numbers." I tell you what, that's your job, bro. That's your. Don't tell me to look at the numbers. Present the numbers to me. If you if you're gonna say something that outlandish, present the numbers to me. You know what I mean? Like you don't get to say like like that's something I try to do whenever whenever we, or, and you do as well. Whenever like you did with this exact this exact like argument. Here are the numbers. Here's what here's what he did against top twenty five teams. Here's what here's what he did. Here's what Trevor Lawrence did. It blows my mind that we're supposed to sit here and listen to these people, and that we actually allow them to be on TV. And again, I think he's great most of the time. This was a foot and mouth job. I was shocked. I was shocked that he said something this stupid. It's the same thing that I'm going to say to my future son or daughter when I'm playing against them in basketball, and I swat them inevitably. And oh, wow. I say, you go hard to the paint or you don't go at all. Hard don't settle. Paint, Connor, damn it. Don't miss You go hard to the... No, you... All right. Well, it's not just Waka Flocka. He's not the person that came up with that. Just yeah, saying. He, he, he definitely wasn't. But anyways, so we're going to have a quick break. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk some bull excitement rankings. We've got our interview with Gary Stilkin coming up later. But quick break. Let's tell you about our Facebook group real quick. If you've listened to this podcast for a long time, you've probably heard us mention our Facebook group once or twice. If you have not joined our Facebook group yet, you absolutely should. Like I said, these these people in our in our Facebook group facilitate such great discussions, game threads, memes, uh, whatever, rivalry trash talk. It's all good fun. We've had so much fun getting to do this. If you have not joined this yet, what's holding you back? All you got to do Pause the podcast right now. Go click on our Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. Search it. Do whatever the kids do to find Facebook groups these days, and we will accept you. It is a private group. We don't want people infiltrating our group. We don't want you know fan bases from from other teams you know posting all their propaganda, whatever. It doesn't mean to say you have to be an SEC fan to join this Facebook group, but you know be respectful of the content that we're providing. So if you have not yet joined the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group right now. The bowl matchups are set. Let's do some bowl excitement rankings in the SEC. I'm going to start at a place that's going to surprise you. I know it's going to surprise you. I'm starting with Mississippi State against Louisville. Oh, God. This is actually lowest on my rankings at number nine. Why am I not excited for this game, you ask? Don't I love all things Joe Moorhead? Yes, I do. But let's look at the, the, the value of these two teams from an offensive standpoint. It is running the football. It is not scoring a ton of points. Despite the fact that they're not great defensively, we already saw these teams play in a bowl game two years ago. This game is being played on Monday uh, at 4 p.m. All right, what else do I need to say? It's. I mean, I'm surprised that you at a place. It's in Nashville, and you get Joe Moorhead involved. 
I'm surprised you're not more excited. This is. But I'm not going to be there. That's the difference. Suck. Yeah, not exactly uh, circling the calendar to watch yeah. this game. Don't get me wrong, great accomplishment to be able to get to a bowl game. What's got of Satterfield? Surprised about this matchup and like the last second juggling that went into it. If you follow along with any of our bowl projections, you would have seen that I had this up uh, well before a week oh. uh, before they announced any of these, and I got five thousand likes and sixty-seven new followers off of it. So there we go. I'm good for you. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, this wrong next to hurt some people. Nothing wrong with a little flex. Okay, Florida fans, you're going to agree with me. You saw that matchup, and you're like, meh. Yeah. Virginia. It's the Orange Bowl. Yes, it's a New Year's Six Bowl game. I always say New Year's Six Bowl games matter. Getting to double-digit wins, that's significant. Even if you're not going to play off, that matters. Not taking away from anything that Dan Mullen has done in year two. We've already complimented the job that he's done, thinks he deserves. I think he deserves, national, and you think this as well, I believe you've said this, National Coach of the Year consideration. Um Florida's season, though, already has 10 wins. You're not going to see C.J. Henderson in this. Florida's a two-touchdown favorite. Who in the right mind is talking about the great Florida-Virginia matchup? Like, these two teams aren't, you know, they don't have paths that cross, historically speaking. Yeah. There's just not a lot about this game that really kind of makes you jump out and say, oh, yeah, got to be watching this, unless you are a Florida fan. Two teams that are kind of in the South. Orange. Like Flor- Florida, yeah, there's orange involved. I, I mean, like... I love that, that Florida fans get to go to Miami for this and and, and also get a win because they're going to win this you. game. Yeah, they're I really am. To. I just yeah, like I and I get why Virginia has to go. And this could have gotten worse. This could this could have been worse. Like this could have been Wake Forest, as mm. was as was projected like a couple weeks before this, or Virginia Tech. But man, Virginia Tech might have been okay. Um, Virginia is not a bad football team. They're, they're not. They're just not a bad football team. But this yeah, this just does nothing for me. This would have been yeah. a great Final Four matchup in, like, 2005. But at least it's not Florida-Michigan, and I think Florida fans are going to celebrate that. So I think they'd actually like that better. Would they? I don't know. Yeah. I think they're they're pretty sick of Michigan. I, did, I didn't like so. the, the fact that, like, there was somebody on Instagram, some college ball page that was like, just, just for a second, think of the fact that the Orange Bowl passed up these teams – Ahead of Virginia, it's like a big page too. It's like, like yeah, because they got the second ace. They have to get the right. top ranked ACC this is a team tie-in. that's not in the playoffs. Yes. In the same way that that Georgia's going to the Sugar Bowl. Yes, it's that's a why this team is here, right? So, and it's, it's not hard to understand. And so people are freaking out about like this is bullcrap. And and then the people they had, or the teams they had listed, it was like Wisconsin, who's obviously in the Rose Bowl, <laughs> Penn State, who's in the Cotton Bowl, and then it's like Bama, Auburn, and it's like you what? Like you thought that the Orange Bowl was going to select. Teams from first off, if the Orange Bowl would have selected Florida Auburn in the Orange Bowl, can you imagine the up like that's just so dumb? Should have anyway. done it, man. Should have yeah. done it. <laughs> what were they thinking? Um, an old packed or an old Big Twelve rivalry. Uh, not really that much of a rivalry, as far as I'm concerned. The Texas Bowl, A and M and Oklahoma State. That's why I have at number seven on my rankings. Friday at 6:45 p.m. Usually not the best game in the world, but I was uh, really hoping they were going to put. A and M versus Texas. Yeah, and, and also just just a that. quick thing, you keep bringing up the the times. It doesn't really matter. No, it this, doesn't this matter. Is that for... awkward week after Christmas where nobody's doing anything besides eating like candy pecans and trying on their like you know taking stuff back from to Belk. That's it. True. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I bring up the times just because it kind of it sometimes it can add to the feel of a game yeah. in terms of whether or not you feel like it's important. If it's being yeah. played Monday at four o'clock, you're like, why am I watching this? Unless back in the day when they have the Aloha Bowl like on on Christmas Eve, and you're like, what in the hell? Why is it right yeah. there? 
Like, why am I watching Colt Brennan right now while I'm downing my 18th <laughs> Hawaiian guess. roll? Well, they have, uh, they have, what was it? Mike Gundy did say that Texas A&M is the best 7-5 and team in the history of college football. Yeah, that was a nice little, little, was it, uh, Did anybody clap back at that? That'd be, that would have been a good segment to see if anybody argued it. That was a subtle jam at the SEC, maybe. Well, actually, hey, uh, well, actually. Uh, a couple of well-paid offensive minds in this with Jimbo and Gundy, but I'm not sure that we're even going to get a shootout in this game. I don't necessarily think we will. I think I, Chuba Hubbard, obviously, is, the, is a big selling point in this game. We talk about bowl games and star power. We don't know what he's necessarily going to do. Can he even sit out this game? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, will he? I, I have no idea. But um, I think that this is a game that you know both teams aren't necessarily going to all of a sudden be like, yes, we got this win and you know eight wins or nine, you know, because I think Oklahoma State is sitting there at eight and four. Like they're not gonna. This isn't gonna make or break their season necessarily. So not not a move the needle type game for me. Six, the Sugar Bowl. With James Georgia Coley flex game. James Coley flex game. Georgia and Baylor. Yeah, I don't have this that high, Georgia fans, and neither do you, because you know that the built-in excuse is already there. We don't know who's sitting out I this disagree. game necessarily. I disagree with you, big time. You disagree that the built-in excuse is there. If Georgia yeah. loses this game, you know what Georgia fans are going to say, and no, I understand no, no, no. it. No, not this year, because you already, you lost in the same situation. You lost in the exact same situation as like in this bowl last year. I, I and Listen, in the way they lost... The way they lost last year to Bama was like, oh my god, heartbreak again. Like they were so close and make it. This year you got embarrassed, and th- and now you have a chance to come back oh, out. True. And you're playing against a team who is going to care, like flat out. Yes, team, I agree. Baylor, this is their first Sugar Bowl since the 1950s. They are they are going to care about this game. They're going to give you their best. They're a team that you can expose. You can beat, and like you know. You know, I'm, I'm sure the the playoff committee is probably in George's ear right now. I'm like, let me tell you something. We had him 13th for most of the year. Okay, don't make us look stupid. I, I do think this is one of those games where I, I don't think you're going to have like, if if Fromm Fromm's going to play. I don't think he's going to go pro. And either way, if, it, if even if he does, it's his last game as a Georgia as Georgia Bulldog. It's going to be a That's big fair. deal. That's fair. I think that the, the the defense you have so many young players besides you know J.R. Reed and a few others that are going to be coming back, so they're not going to be sitting out like last year. Like you're not going to have the the Thorpe Award winner sitting out this game. So here's here's the the two things though. Georgia, we already know, and you bring up good points. Um, Georgia, we already know, isn't going to be at full strength just because Lawrence Cager, Dominic Blaylock, these guys are already out. They know yeah. we know that they're not playing sure. in this game. Baylor could potentially be without a starting quarterback, Charlie Brewer, who got injured in the Big 12 yeah. championship. Don't necessarily know his status. The over under for this, the over under for this game is 42 and a half. Air high five, Connor, because the oh, first thing I was thinking about on. when you brought the game was what's the under? Because take the under. 42 and a half. That's I think it's I think it'll still be a it's I mean, but here's the thing. The Sugar Bowl. That's the, the the last one on on New Year's Day. It's the one of the best days of football of the entire year. It'll be yes. a fun game. It'll be a that's fun true. game. They're going to be in white though, which that mm. means oh, that's going to be ugly. Your, your Baylor fans, I don't know what Baylor's going to be wearing, but you know what? Also, if you get a chance to go to New Orleans, enjoy going to New Orleans, guys. Why are you saying it like that? Because Georgia, like Georgia fans, are like well, I'm not going to go back to back years. No, I mean, why are you saying like New Orleans? Don't we usually just say New Orleans? Sure, all right, whatever. Uh, just, just figure, I don't I, I put just as much wanna... thought into saying cities' names as you do, Connor. Over, oh, under, wow. over 112 shots of Chip and Joe on the sideline. I'm going to take the over on that. <laughs> They're not going to go to that game, are they? Yeah, they probably will. They're all things Baylor. Gator Bowl, number five. Well, Tennessee over. Tennessee and Indiana. Oh, I picked my alma mater. Yeah, sorry for picking picking a bowl game in which my Hoosiers have a whole lot of stake in. And I say my Hoosiers very loosely, as everybody knows. My days as an Indiana football fan basically started and stopped in the year 2008. Um, 
So Tennessee's first bowl game in three years is something. This game, you know, means a lot for this program and what they've tried to do in the second half of the year. It feels like a major matchup for both teams. This isn't necessarily a bowl game that Indiana is privy to go to on a yearly basis. That type of stuff matters. Tom Allen, if you haven't seen Tom Allen yet and you're an SEC fan, watch this guy go nuts on the sideline. He is freaking crazy, the Indiana head coach. It's kind of a sneaky good strength-on-strength matchup with Indiana's passing game against Tennessee's pass defense, which has been much better, one of the key points that has fueled this winning streak that they've been on down the stretch here. I think this is like a low-key kind of interesting game and being played the day after New Year's Eve on on that Thursday when you're like, oh, football's over, and then you're like, oh, no, I still got a little little dessert dessert on Thursday night. I'll give a shout-out to my man. That is a very odd time for this game. This game, really? is always, this game is always at one o'clock on New Year's Day, and that or one thirty. I mean, uh, last year um, it was on. It was on New Year's Eve last year when A&M played in it. Yeah. What time was it? Was it one thirty? It was no. It was, it was like a. An, I think it was like a six o'clock game or something That's like so that. So weird to me. Um. Anyway, my man Chuck Smith. We're on the that play to win show together. He's a good dude. He played at Tennessee. He's been saying for weeks. He was like, "Man, I tell you what. Let Tennessee win out and get to the Gator Bowl." Those fans will sell out that stadium by themselves. So I'm, they I'm, will. Yep. I'm interested to see how that looks because uh, this is a big deal for Tennessee. I think it that's is a big deal. that's one of the reasons why I think they didn't put Tennessee in the Music City Bowl because it's like, come on, it's been mm-hmm. three years. Like, and they they've had a resurgence the second half of the year. Their only loss in their past what seven games was to Bama. Yep. I mean, true. so and, and you know they should have won. Um, forget that. People forget. But no, I, I think this would be a fun matchup. I, I really do. I think uh, it's. I would have it way ahead of what you have at number four, which is just gross. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right, I number four. Dumb. Number four, I have one reason that I have this game at number four. One reason and one reason only. I have the Belk Bowl here. I have Kentucky and Virginia Tech. Why do I have Kentucky and Virginia Tech at number four, you ask? Because Lynn Bowden. The guy who won the Paul Horning Award this morning. Yeah, he cool. is going to be playing in his final collegiate game, and I'm excited to see that. He's going to be playing a pretty good running defense, Virginia Tech, top 30 running defense. Bud but Foster's final game. Bud Foster's final game as well. A couple, uh, couple swan songs in this game that I, I'm interested in. Mainly, it's Lynn Bowden, though. I mean, let's be honest. Like Watching him uh, at noon on that Tuesday, New Year's Eve, when there's that's going to be the thing on, and you're going to be watching that. I remember a couple years ago watching... It was AM and it was uh, Jimbo Fisher was on the sideline for that game as before he took over as head coach and watching Christian Kirk have a billion yards. And that was yeah. the only thing that we were watching on that given day. And it was fun. And that was the Belk Bowl as well. Oh, but that. it was. Go ahead. It was. No, that was, that was right, right? I didn't, I didn't mess up on that. Yeah, no, there was a the Belk Bowl a couple years different. ago. Oh, okay. All right. But, anyways, you're going to be watching that. I think it's going to be very entertaining. I think hopefully Lynn Bowden gets a nice little, a little, little swan song in this game. Number three. This the game's Outback at Bowl. 1 p.m.? Outback Bowl is being played at 1 p.m. What the in hell is happening? Tampa, Florida. This game's always been played at 1 p.m. Always at 11 a.m. 11 a.m. like Central Time, maybe. Nope. Not back me up on this, one, listeners. Not this 1 p.m. No, on the East Coast. It used to always not, be 11, 11 o'clock, and then the other one would be 12:30, and there was one at one. That's how they would stagger all the games on New Year's Day. At least it was. Oh, I mean, like, maybe I'm thinking way back in the 90s. I don't think I am, but this is. I, this game was not. I mean, maybe they did it at one o'clock last year, but this game would always start at eleven, and then you had the Citrus Bowl at one, and the, okay. and the Gator Bowl was at twelve thirty. It wasn't one thirty. I was wrong about that because you'd have three games on at the same time. And then you have Rose Bowl, and then you have the Sugar Bowl that true. night. Yep, and the, yeah, they don't stagger the games anymore. Outback Bowl and Citrus Bowl are That's like so we're going to battle head to head. But uh, Auburn and Minnesota, I think, are going to be playing in a game that feels 
like two teams that actually care and feel like they were wronged. We saw the Anthony Schwartz tweet about not getting into the New Year's Six. Uh, Anthony Schwartz is not too happy. You tell me right now, we lost three games and didn't get in. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, Auburn wants that 10-win season. Minnesota wants to have the best season it's ever had since joining the Big Ten. It's a little bit reminiscent of yeah. last year with Kentucky, what they were trying to do down the stretch. Feels like that game is going to matter a lot. And then just throwing this out there, I know it's a different set of circumstances, different team and all that. Remember last year when Gus started calling plays in the bowl game and what his offense looked like? I'm not saying that oh Gus God, is going to look like that with a month to prepare. Year, yeah. They were a three-point favorite. I'm not saying they're going to look like this necessarily, but if that's the Auburn that we get to see, oh boy, we that's fun to talk about Chad Morris. The Chad. Oh, yeah, the Chad is going back to – the Chad is going to Auburn, and that makes me uneasy in the stomach. I'll just say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad move at all. I'm just surprised at how many people are saying how great of a move it is. I So I ranked six hires in the SEC, three assistant coaches, three head coaches. Yeah. And I have Chad Morris at dead last at number yeah, six. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how you couldn't. Too many cooks um, in the kitchen in that one. I yeah, I think this would be good though. I, I think this would be. I think this would be. I would have this probably at, you know, in terms of like watchability. I think this would be. Well, you can't put it. I would have it at two at the lowest. Okay. To be honest, yeah. Fair enough. Number two, I have the Citrus Bowl. Very biased on this one, obviously because it's being played in Orlando. You are biased because bam, the Bama factor. I know that there are guys. We don't bias. I had him behind. No, I'm, I'm, I'm saying in terms of the, the biases that we have going into the, our entertainment levels of this game. But still, I, I, we know that people are going to be sitting in this game. We know that it's going to be without some big-time guys. But we don't know that. We don't know that at all, Connor. You keep you keep talking about that. You, we have no idea if that's true Let's do a beard bet as to whether or not one guy is going to sit in this no, game. No, that's dumb. There'd be at least one. Yeah. Terrell Lewis won't be, won't be playing this game. I'll guarantee you that. Yeah, probably true. Um, but it's still Harbaugh versus Saban. And it's still a matchup that, on paper... If we were looking at this a few years ago, we'd be more excited about this because we thought Michigan was going to be a little bit more arrived. At least most of us thought yeah. that. But I think that aspect is still very entertaining. I'm all here for the awkward handshakes and the press conference moments that have the fake excitement, all that stuff. Saban pretending to, to like this game is going to matter to him is going to be great. I'm looking oh, forward I to that. Matter in a sense of, of, you know, it's a football game, and if he's going to be at a football game, we may as well win it. But... I, I don't know. I tell you I what, kind of the last time Alabama was not in a New Year's Six Bowl game and they weren't in the playoff and whatever else you want to say, or BCS Bowl, however you want to bring it up, it was in the Capital One Bowl against Michigan State. And it was yep. a 2010 team that still people say is the most talented team they had, and they won 49-7. to So I, I, will, I will beg to disagree with you on the fact that I don't think it will matter with this team. Uh, I don't know how true I didn't I've been sick all week so I don't know how true I didn't do like a, a lot of research on whether this is real or not but Shea Patterson come out and say something about Bama and how they haven't beaten anybody is that real? Uh, I dream that's, that. No, I don't think you dreamt that necessarily, but I mean I think Shea Patterson lost 6-6-3 last time he played against Alabama. This is true. This is true. That's going to be I think this will be a, a like this game doesn't ultimately matter. It does matter. It will matter to Michigan. It'll definitely matter to Michigan because last time they put an SEC yeah. team in a bowl game, they got absolutely embarrassed by Florida, and then the whole thing was like, "We had players sitting out and blah blah." blah. Like, I think this game will matter. I'm I'm excited to see Mac Jones for another game. I don't know Return who else will be sitting out for for Bama at receiver, but I I do know they have Waddle coming back. This is true. And He's going to be playing. Yeah, I just I think this will be this will be one of those things where I think Joey Galloway brought it up too. He goes, "Is this a game that that will change the narrative about Jim Harbaugh in big no. games?" And it was like, nope. "What?" 
No, absolutely, like absolutely not. Because he Watch. beats. Like, come on. I'm going to set the over-under for Jalen Waddell's total receiving yards in this game already at 175. Oh, Watching Don Jesus. Brown try and defend him with a single high safety is you know he will. the dumbest thing in the you world. Know, you know that oh, Michigan will do something stupid in this game like, we're Michigan. Pure That'll Michigan. be that thing. Yeah. yeah. like they're, they're, We're going man-to-man on the outside. Like, I can't wait. And I tell you what, low-key, I can't believe you even brought this up either because I think it's going to be a, a high-key issue in this game is Josh Gaddis, that I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but that that guy going up the against the former employee. Like, yeah. like, no, but, but Gash is like, let's F and go. Like, afterwards, like, bro, don't even start. You're, you're, a, you're a never was at that university. Whew. Number one, game that we've talked about a lot already, game that we're going to talk about a little bit more with our good friend Gary Stilkin in a minute here, but it is the Peach Bowl. It's LSU in Oklahoma. Two teams that are playing for a chance to, to, to go to a national championship for, I mean, Oklahoma hasn't been a national championship during the playoff era. They're trying to get over that proverbial hump. LSU is trying to get to a place that it hasn't been since 2011. This is a big, big game that obviously doesn't need any selling. But just the quarterback matchup alone is so good. It's so good. All the different dynamics with Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts. Think about where these guys were 19 months ago. I mean, both of these guys really had pads that were blocked to playing time yeah. at that time. And you look at what they have done with the opportunities that have been given to them, and it's unbelievable. And it feels like both of them right now are living this sports movie, and they're crossing paths finally. And yeah. who gets to continue that and have the you know the the satisfying like you know victories you know taken off the field on, on the shoulders type ending is going to be is going to be fun to watch. And I realized I was about to say happy ending, and you then I just avoided it. it. You describe it in a way that no one had ever watched a sports movie. I feel like we described it like and there and then that the man. Gives it to the guy. Uh, and boom goes down. And boom goes down. So I w- I'm going to call out us for a minute here, SDS. Who, who called Jalen Killer, Jalen Hurts, the the LSU killer in, a, so, in an article this week? Because that is. It was my column. It was my column. It was not my headline. Okay. I, I was going to say. I did not come up with that. I would have, I'm I would, not going to throw the person under the bus. I'm not going to do that. But whoever did needs to. Needs to take a step back on the title, the headlines here for a minute because there that are is certain. There are certain is, battles that we we fight. There are certain battles that we don't fight. There, I did not want to get too bent out of shape about yeah. that headline because if what's the point of me arguing when Jalen hurts? Well, I realized that offensively, Bama did not do a whole lot against LSU. He had the two and zero. He's two and zero against LSU. That was the only thing that was that was really of note in ten that. to nothing and twenty eight to thirteen. I was I was just I was I was shocked and a little bit. I'll say it. Disappointed when I when I saw, and, and not you because I knew that wasn't coming from you, but I was just surprised because it's like, I, I get building up the game too, and this is going to be one of those things that's going to be brought up not just from us. It's going to be brought up by Jalen Hurts has never lost to LSU. Like that's true. I don't think he's seen something like this before. No, and I, I don't think he has either. And I think the yeah. fact that you know the, the, both of these teams are expected to score a ton of points. I mean, yeah. even though LSU's defense has been really really good. I don't think LSU's defense is going to play as good as they did against Georgia and A and M. No, we're dealing with a much different ball game here. And Ceedee Lamb is one of the best receivers in the country. And what I, what I think fans that don't maybe haven't watched a lot of Oklahoma games this year, and I've watched like you know probably about half of them just because you know I love Jalen, but um, like people need to understand. I think this is not the same Oklahoma offense with Kyler Murray and with Baker Mayfield. It's just not. It's, it's, no, it's, it's not. Different. It's not the same. Um, so if you're gonna, you know, turn on the game December 28th and, and expect to see that, like you're in for, you know, 
It's going to be very, very different than that. What I also will say, and I just have to get this off my chest, is the whole narrative, like Emmanuel Acho is big on this, which is just mind-blowing because he's a big Texas guy. Mm-hmm. But the whole Jalen Hurts, I'm so happy for Jalen Hurts. I'm so happy that this is his fourth straight cultural playoff and all that kind of stuff. The people that like Skip Bayless and other people that are, I'll just say, not credible when it comes to college football um, and don't know what they're talking about and just want to have like big like talking heads, yeah, yeah, and, and and just have like salacious and exciting and 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 like just honestly National Enquirer type type headlines. The whole thing about like Jalen's in the in the playoff and Bama isn't. Dude, I, like I get it, I totally get it, and I, I, I'm so happy for this kid. But if if you're one that's gonna bring that up, whether it be like on the podcast or it's on the in the in the Facebook group, just remember this kid was taken out of a game to win a national championship. You know what I mean? Like it's like just let the two things be mutually exclusive. Be happy for yes, him. Yes, they are. Yeah, you know what I mean? exactly. Just be, just be happy for him because this is gonna be a great moment. I like and it'll add to his legacy if he somehow beats this LSU team, which I, I don't see how they do, but. Um, it's going to be a fun game, man. The over-under, like you had in here, it says 76 is the highest. And LSU's and an 11-point yeah. favorite. Like, that's going to be a fun game. That, that first half, especially both these first-half offenses, are, are electric. Yeah, I, I think from that standpoint, it checks all the boxes of everything you can need. Great quarterback matchup. Really exciting. Obviously, huge, massive stakes in this one. It, it doesn't need to be sold. But our guy Gary Stokin, he did some selling on this yeah, he game. Did. Always good to catch up with Gary. Uh, very good perspective. Bull executives getting to talk about you know how matchups come together. It's a little bit different in the playoff era, but I, I always like hearing you know the selling points for a game and kind of what goes into all this. A little peel behind the onion that we don't always necessarily get if we're just talking to a reporter stuff like that. So a little bit of a different kind of interview. But those of you who have known you know we those of you who have listened to this for a while have known that we like to bring Gary on before bowl season, bring him on before the Chick Fil A opener to start the year. So. Without further ado, here is our interview with our good friend, Gary Stokin. We're now excited to be joined by a man who needs no introduction for the SDS podcast listeners. You've heard him on here before. It is Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl president and CEO, Gary Stokin. Gary, you've you've come on with us a handful of times, but this is the first time that we've had you on to preview a playoff matchup. Tell us what, the, what it's like when that cycle hits and you go from a non-playoff New Year's Six Bowl to a playoff game? Is it like kind of getting your turn at the cool kids table? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, there's a couple ways to answer it. One is, you know, it really became Christmas early on Sunday when we got the chance to see who we were going to be able to open the presents and host. And then to have number one against number four with the kind of offensive firepower with two quarterbacks that will be up here in New York for the Heisman Trophy uh, dinner. Uh, two of the best wide receivers in the country and the two top offenses in the country total offense-wise. So um, I I made a joke earlier. I said, you know, I called Mercedes-Benz Stadium after I found out and said, hey, we're going to need to open the roof with all the fireworks we're going to have with all this offensive (laughs) Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Oh, I love it. You're you're not wrong. You are not wrong. Correct me if I am wrong on this, this though. So before the matchups were announced on Sunday – did you go into that knowing that you were either going to get LSU and or Clemson? Is, is that right? Well, it was interesting. We thought that based on the ratings uh, when they moved Ohio State up, that if Georgia beat LSU in the SEC, then they would probably move Ohio State 
and uh, LSU probably out to Phoenix. And we might have Clemson and Georgia if you had Ohio State 1, oh. Clemson 2, Georgia 3, and LSU 4. Uh, because they may, for their protocol, uh, the number one team by the selection committee is given geographical preference and advantage for their team and their fans without disadvantaging them. And although Ohio State is closer to Atlanta than Phoenix, they may have felt like LSU just played in the facility and as SEC school that we're going to not disadvantage Ohio State, so we're going to move them out to Phoenix. Uh, On the other side, you know, if Ohio State and Oklahoma were one and four, we felt like we'd have Ohio State, Oklahoma. And then we also felt if LSU moved ahead of Ohio State, we'd have LSU, Oklahoma in uh, in Atlanta. And that was the case. Gosh, that's wild. It's interesting yeah. how that, that plays out now, just thinking about all the different scenarios that I'm sure you, you guys have been playing out for, for the past few weeks and every selection show is, you know, kind of, you know, wondering what in the world is going to be like because you guys have obviously, the, the, the selection process is taken out of your hands now with the current system. I imagine, though, that the way that things ended up, you don't have to do a ton of selling for this matchup. LSU, Oklahoma, <laughs> Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts for a national title berth. I mean, it, this sort of thing just sells itself, doesn't it? Well, that's a great point. You know, we uh, we work awfully hard locally in Atlanta to sell as many tickets as we can, and we announced that all the tickets we controlled were sold out in July. And then wow. we opened up expandable seats which there's probably about 2,400 expandable seats in Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, that Arthur Blank put in for, like, Super Bowls or Final Fours or, you know, SEC championships or our bowl game. Um, we sold those out in July, and then we just recently added 1,500 standing-room-only tickets, and we sold out of those. So the only tickets that were left were really the team allotments, and we didn't know who the teams were going to be. Once the announcement came December 8th, Sunday, uh, LSU is out of their tickets, and Oklahoma said they'll be out of them by the end of the week if they're not out of them by now. So it's going to be a very, very tough ticket, and probably, you know, 78,000, which could be a record in in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'll give you twenty bucks. For, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, the, kind of going back to what what, what Connor was asking about the uh, the potential matchups before we actually knew what was going to happen on Sunday, and I, I think it's kind of funny that, I, that the Pac-12 wasn't wasn't brought up at all during this. But was there any communication beforehand about who the Peach Bowl would get if, say, a Pac-12 team like Utah had one and got in? Because because I just kept saying I bet it's going to be LSU and Clemson in the Peach Bowl, and and I, was there any communication? Of like about that beforehand or those potential matchups? Well, we were we were interested, and and that's one of the things that people don't realize. We have an existing playoff that's right. expanded beyond four teams now. Because if you looked at Alabama Auburn, that was a playoff game. Michigan State or Michigan Ohio State was a playoff game. Wisconsin Minnesota was a playoff game. Um, so, you know, we were looking at Alabama Auburn. If Alabama had won and Utah had won and Oklahoma had won, what does the committee do? And, um, you know, with Alabama losing and then Utah losing, you know, uh, and then it came down to the Big 12. Well, if Oklahoma won or Baylor won, 
they were probably going to take Baylor, Oklahoma, and put them in 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 the four slot if Georgia lost to LSU. So, um, and then with respect to us knowing, I remember calling Bill Hancock in uh, in 2015 when we first started the CFP, and I said, "So, Bill, you're going to call me like Saturday and let us know who we have, right?" He said, "Gary, you'll find out when the rest of America finds out." So, right. we we didn't find Brutal. out who we had this year until uh, you know we watched it on TV just like you guys did and uh, found out we had LSU had moved up to number one and we had them and uh, the game was going to be a four o'clock game. Gary, I'll tell you right now, just from somebody that has to live in a world of social media for their job, it is the best thing possible that you don't have to choose who goes this matchup on your own because Seriously. they have been crazy for the past month. These fans have been nuts going over uh, going over the rankings and all those like, projections and stuff like that. So um, count that as a blessing, I, I would say. It, you know, Following up that with, with the fans uh, part of it, there's a lot of fans going to be coming in town. Some of them just left town. We got to hang out with a bunch of them from, like, from Baton Rouge and, and Louisiana. For the fans coming back in town for the Peach Bowl, what kind of attractions or events, events beforehand should they be on the lookout for? Well, obviously, we, we've got such a, uh, a wide disparity of things to do downtown now with, uh, obviously, the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and uh, we'll have a fan night in the aquarium. Uh, and then, you know, our fan fest That's cool. and our parade take place on game day. So we get started early getting people out of bed to uh, get in the parade and watch the parade, then head up to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and we'll probably have you know, upwards of 40,000 people go through our fans, fan fest. And then uh, we're going to implement team walks through Home Depot Backyard this year for the first time uh, into Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So uh, a lot cool. of things happening game day and the night before. Um, but, you know, there's other things, whether it's the World of Coke or CNN Center or um, the aquarium, a lot of things to do, Civil and Human Rights Center all downtown. So. You know, it's just a great time. They they got the skating rink up in Centennial Olympic Park now. So, um, you know, just a lot That's of things right. to do downtown. And then, obviously, the restaurants and the shopping now during the holidays is, are great in Atlanta as well. As is Chick-fil-A going there like 12 times if you're coming yeah. to town. You <laughs> know, for real, like, Yeah. A little recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, last year uh, with the, the, the kickoff game, I remember that Chris Peterson requested that the roof be closed in the opener that y'all hosted between Washington and Auburn. Uh, did Coach O make any sort of special request for you, like maybe get some extra live Tigers into the stadium, like a <laughs> million packs of Red, Red Bull, something like that that just kind of, you know, he, he put on the to-do list for you? Well, with the way the LSU fans are so passionate, I don't think you need to do anything for those guys to get them fired up. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a wild scene there with, uh, you know, what's at stake here to go to a national championship game with both passionate fan bases with Oklahoma and LSU. So, And then, you know, when you got the kind of offenses you have. But I think at the end of the day, it's really going to be the key to the game is going to be the defenses. Who steps up? Who can make some plays? Who can make some stops? And um, you know, I think that's going to be the real key in the game. So, speaking of Washington, um, that was the only time when you guys had Washington and Bama there three years ago. That's the only time that y'all posted a playoff game so far. Bama obviously dominates that game. 
you know, that that's something you guys have no sort of impact on. But I'm, I'm interested in knowing what kind of things you're doing differently this year, this time around, learning what you went through the first playoff game that you guys hosted, besides the fact that obviously that game's hosted in the Georgia Dome as opposed to Mercedes-Benz. But what kind of things did you take away from that whole experience? Yeah, interesting enough, it's, it's changed since we had number one and number four in 2016. The, uh, the growth of the demand uh, for the teams to get ready for the championship game uh, between the New York Six Bowl games, the CFP, and, and the, the uh, ADs, uh, we've been requested not to do anything with the players past December 26th which is different from 2016 when we had a full week of activities. Um, And now the coaches have asked us to kind of back down and let the players, you know, with meetings and practices and film sessions really get focused on the 26th and 27th for the game on the 28th. Because obviously they're going to play for a one-time chance in the national championship game. So, Believe it or not, our bowl week, from a staffing standpoint, we have it a little easier because we're not putting on as many events as we've had in the past when there's not a semifinal game. Um, but that's because the game is so important um, to win because you get the chance to move on and play in New Orleans for the national championship. So I hate to even ask this question, but I'm going to. I'm going to. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when this game ends, when does prep uh, for next year begin? Because I know you guys have some big games on the schedule for the first and second weekend of college football season next year. When? How much time off are you going to give yourself? Yeah, we what we'll we'll do is um, you know we'll clean up from uh, the game on the twenty eighth, um, and then the uh, probably the second week in January we'll try and close the books between second week in January. Uh, through the end of the month. Now, we go down to the national championship game in New Orleans. Uh, we'll be down there for a couple of days. Um, and then in February, we'll, we'll by the second week of February, the books will be closed. We'll then go meet with all six teams that are playing in our kickoff games in February and take them through the institutional guide to get ready for the games in September. Uh, and then we have some meetings with... Uh, uh, the CFP and ESPN, and then we have meetings with the rest of the Bowl Association in uh, March and April. So that kind of takes us through the first four months. Wow. Stays busy. It Plenty is, of work to do between now and then, I imagine. Well, um, it is hard to believe that, that I do work more than one day a year. Um, <laughs> people think That's not September that 28th is the only day I work. But, uh, yeah, our staff works hard the rest of the days and. And the other thing I should say is we're planning, you know, come January, we're starting to plan our uh, our uh, Peach Bowl Challenge Golf Tournament out at Reynolds uh, where we host uh, about 20 coaches and celebrities and give about $830,000 to charity through our golf tournament out at Reynolds. That happens this year, May 1 through 3. So, yeah, we've always got something going on. And it just overlaps one another. So it's fun and it's uh, great because we've been able to grow to be the number one bowl organization in charitable contributions, uh, having given away $53.8 million since 2002. 
uh, and most recently $20 million to children's health care to find clinical trials and cures for childhood cancer. Wow. That's, and that's the type of stuff that obviously is going to be, you know, that's the type of stuff that, that gets overlooked oftentimes as we talk about these bowl games that have such big implications. LSU fans obviously know what's at stake. Oklahoma fans do as well. But let's, let's do a little role-playing here. You know, pretend that I'm an LSU fan. And I know this game's an easy sell or whatever, but just just pretend that I am an LSU fan. I just spent a thousand bucks going to Atlanta for the SEC championship. I'm probably looking at another thousand bucks to go to the Peach Bowl, um, but I'm on the fence. Let's just say I'm on the fence about going. Give me your thirty second sales pitch as to why I just need to pull the trigger and do it. Well, the great thing is you don't know if you're guaranteed to win to go to a championship game, and even if you do win the semifinal game. You're not going to spend that much money because you're you're right in your backyard in New Orleans. You can drive okay. down to the games, the national championship game. So, hey, take advantage of being the opportunity to be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium again. The concessions are cheap. Uh, with yep. uh, Coke, Cokes for three bucks and getting free refills. Uh, great Chick-fil-A food for about three bucks. And um, you know, come up and enjoy Atlanta. Great contest between. Two Heisman type quarterbacks, and uh, get the opportunity to celebrate in Atlanta. The opportunity to possibly go to uh, New Orleans and play for a national championship. All right, I'm in. Uh, that's it. I'm pulling the trigger now. <laughs> you, you convinced me. You talked me into it. I'm, I'm there. So I can sell you two get- tickets. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. <laughs> Absolutely. Easily with that. For I, sure. I brought up that twenty bucks, man. Gary, I, I, I do want to say one last thing here. One, uh, a, a time, a, a long time ago. I was uh, I worked at Reynolds Reynolds Landing in college. So if you need if you need like a caddy for that golf tournament, you let me know. I'm there. All right. Um, and then also want to say, as somebody that grew up and and lifelong Atlantan, is that how we say it? I always say ATLian, but you know, somebody that grew up and still lives in Atlanta, I do want to genuinely say thank you so much for all of the amazing opportunities and, and things that you've brought into not only Atlanta but the Atlanta economy and and how great you guys have been for this city and really growing this city to what it is today. That's a lot of that has to do with, with everything that you've been able to do uh, with the peach bowl. And I can't say thank you enough. Um, for sure. I don't want to say putting the city on the map, but it really is. I always joke around and say we had the Olympics 20 years ago. And we weren't even a real city yet. So it's, <laughs> it's cool to see everything grow um, to what it is now. And, and the last question I have for you is I noticed that Popeye's did not have a bowl game this year. Is it safe to say our guys at Chick-fil-A won the chicken sandwich battle of 2019? Yeah, hands down, no doubt about it. <laughs> That's right, Gary. Contest. wasn't even a contest, but uh, I do want to thank you for your kind compliments. Uh, you're one of the reasons, and you guys, what you do for college football is one of the reasons why a lot of people in the national media have called us the capital of college football. And um, you know, without your passion for college football, without uh, your belief uh, that college football is important. Um, we wouldn't have the opportunity to uh, sell the tickets we sell, to uh, have the College Football Hall of Fame have moved here, and to, to be the success that we are. So credit you guys as well. We're all in this together, and uh, we've all done a great job to grow something really special in the, uh, in the world of college football all over the country. 
Amen. Amen. Well said. Very well said. Well, we appreciate your time as always, Gary. We know that you got a lot of things to do this week. Uh, you more you work more than one day a year. We have confirmed that you definitely do. Uh, but yes, wishing you nothing but success. I know that you're going to get ridiculous numbers for this game. It's going to be an awesome one. All of our listeners are going to be tuning in to see LSU and Oklahoma face off. Best of luck to everything you got going. Hopefully, we'll be able to see you soon. Well, we look forward to hosting you at the game, and uh, thanks so much for having us. And appreciate what you do for college football. Awesome. Thanks again, Gary. Take care. Thanks, guys. Appreciate, as always, Gary, for coming on. Great insight on on LSU and Oklahoma and all the things that we're going to be looking for in a few short weeks here in Atlanta. Marler, it's been a hot minute. See what I did there? Since we had a Texas Pete ad. That's why I'm. That's why I'm a pro. I tell you what, man. I've been sick for all week. It's been not fun on that whole saltine and ginger ale and soup diet. Ugh. You know the one thing that's been good about being sick is I'm all stopped up and I don't feel great. But the one thing that I can still add to this little this little diet of mine, Texas Pete. Boom. Every single time I have to get a bowl of soup, which I hate. I mean, like, listen, I wasn't in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay, I don't like eating soup as a meal. Soup is is an appetizer at most for me but you got a little soup little chicken noodle with a little texas pete in there right a little cn and some tp that, that is that's a win in my book um anyway i i love texas pete you guys know i put it on everything and just in time for the holidays if you're looking for that last minute that last minute gift i know a lot of times we say like what's the thing that can really make this this holiday go above and beyond don't go out and get a car for Bay, okay? You have any idea how hard it is to wrap a bow on top of a Hyundai? Very difficult. Why'd you say it weird? I don't know how to say that word. Hyundai. I don't Just ignore People the always correct. Yeah, Connor, what average American knows how to say Hyundai? There's a Y and a U back-to-back. It's a damn car. They're not even <laughs> They're not even a sponsor. You know what I can say perfectly? Texas Pete. Texas Pete. Boom. TFP, okay? Um, the perfect gift for the ones you love this holiday season is Texas Pete. Okay, get some Texas Pete dust, or you know what I did over over Chris, over Thanksgiving. I'll do it again on, on Christmas uh, for the big Christmas meal we're gonna have. Is get a little bit of Texas Pete wing sauce and then Texas Pete original. Boom. Put that. I don't even mix it together. I just let them kind of blend into one beautiful cascading. It's it's like it's like a a fondue, but with fun. It's a fondue of Texas Pete flavor. So uh, make sure you go to texaspeet.com. Check out tons of recipes, uh, especially, you know, and tons of gift ideas for the holiday season. I don't care how that sounds, okay? And also, if you if, if you give out Texas Pete this holiday season, make sure you let us know. Post a picture about it with the hashtag sauce like you mean it. Uh, we would love to see it. And if you're getting me anything, it better be Texas Pete. There you go. Let's get the fourth and wrong uh, before I have to go take more meds for this flu or whatever it is I have. Uh, we have four questions, non-football related. Your first question from John Diekman. If you could spend Christmas anywhere in the world, where would you choose? Um, the obvious answer is at home with family, back where you grew up. In my opinion, that's that's no. my initial my initial thought is going back, to, and which we will be doing as well, is going back to the suburbs of Chicago and being able to be there with my mom, my aunts, uncles, all that stuff. That, I'm looking forward to that. Don't get me wrong. There's no place I'd rather be for Christmas than, than there. But if I could go anywhere, I mean like anywhere, I think New York at Christmas would be pretty fun. That's something that I've never done before. Just uh, yeah. home alone too. That's it. I just want I'm home alone too. I'm very, very anti New York, um, just because of you know, just 
some people that live there. Uh, I am most happy, like you said, with with Bay and with family. See, one thing that sucks about, like, I love spending the first Christmas I ever spent with Allie like, was, like, our first year of dating. We went home to Columbia, and it was a lot of fun with my family. Um, and we're going to have to definitely go back home to visit her family. I think they're we're having both her parents and then my parents in Atlanta for Christmas. That's Day, a movie right there. I'm so excited, man. This is this just means a lot for like to have like you know our families in our home, which would be a lot of fun. Um, but her family also, she has family that lives in in LA, and I don't know if I like I don't know where I would definitely want to have Christmas, but I know I wouldn't want to spend it where it's like 80 degrees. Like no offense, it's, to Orlando. it's the worst. It's the I just, worst. Like, Christmas has to be a little bit cold. Yeah, you know I was I, mean? I was here. My first Christmas, I actually spent here. I went back. I went back to Chicago a couple weeks before Christmas, and then I was here on Christmas because I was working. I had a billion things yeah. going on, and I went to uh, a buddy. Shout out Chris Stoney, who used to work uh, at SDS as well, and I went to his place, um, which is about a couple hours away, and it was 93 on Christmas. That's just looking around, I'm like, okay, so this is Christmas in Florida now. I'm used to 30 degrees and snowing back in Chicago. Yeah. Very, very different. Yeah. And the other place, we talked about this for a, a trip, for like a honeymoon or something like that, would be, uh, I think it's Finland? No, maybe it was Sweden. Okay. Yes, Sweden, I don't know. Sweden. Everybody looks like a postcard. I think that'd be awesome um, to go somewhere like that. But yeah, I would say as long as it's somewhere it's cold um, and some snow would be an added bonus. Jay Woody has the next question. It says, some people are just a peach to work with. If you could add someone famous to the pod team, who would you add that you would love, but it would drive your co-host crazy? I've got two. Which one okay. Which one do you pick a hand, left or right hand? I don't care. Go ahead. Say both. <laughs> pick the right hand. Jim Harbaugh. From a content standpoint, Jim Harbaugh's got his own podcast. I already know that. I know he would drive you nuts. I know everything that came out of his mouth would just make you absolutely irate. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, different background, obviously. He grew up in the Midwest. Um, I, I feel like a lot of things that he would just say that have nothing to do with football would upset you in a variety of ways. So that would be great. Do you love milk? He loves milk. Jim, we're an adult male. You can. You're an adult in general. Stop ordering milk. If you're if you're an adult, I don't care if it's Christmas season. You're getting cookies with it. If you order milk at a restaurant, check your life, bro. Yeah. Check your life. You got you got some things you got to work on. What if we uh, What if we had Funny Main on as a co-host? Oh, that's it with you. <laughs> that would annoy me just as much would, as you, maybe, probably. I just, you know, he's not as bad this year as he was in the past. I just, I just, mm, when you when your name says funny in it, you really gotta be. You really gotta be. That's all <laughs> I'll say. Um, yeah, he he is something else. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> I hate you so much for that. <laughs> I got you triggered uh, just with the mention of him. Good. I mean, it's just like, I, you know, he's done, I'm, I will, I will never throw shade at somebody that has grown, like been successful as a creative because it's so hard to do, especially in an industry like this and to keep that kind of consistency. It's like, I mean, tip of the cap. That is an awesome, awesome achievement because that, like I've said this before, it's not like it being funny and doing comedy is not like singing songs. It's not like being a musician where it's like I'm gonna go get an acoustic guitar, I'm gonna learn Wonderwall, and I'm gonna have so I'm gonna have a steady income of like $150 every other Tuesday or every other Thursday at some you know crappy bar for like forever because I can play songs people love. Comedy is not like that. I will say, the, the, sprinkling in that whole Auburn Love Fest last year was was surprising. That was surprising. Anyway, let's move on from Funny Maine. Um, mine would be Will, our producer. Oh, so Will and, and would I, drive me crazy? Yes, without a doubt. And I love Will, and I know you love Will too, but man, 
it's because Will Will have these takes that seem outlandish, and that and he and he'll he'll say them in the most dismissive, arrogant way that you're like, okay, he knows it existed. too. And I think he's starting to, yeah. Um, but it, it like it, it used to drive me crazy, but now this season especially because he's a big LSU fan, the stuff he says, like he'll he'll say stuff and it's like it, think of like me peak a hole, and 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 Will, I hope you hear that and you know I love you, but like. Think about me, peak arrogant a hole. Like, yeah, yeah, you could do that, but here's, you know, like just where everything's kind of backhanded. If there are compliments, and it would be, God, it would be so funny if, to watch you get riled up. If I had a nickel for every Jake Fromm text he sent us, my goodness. Oh, and he was spot on about it, too. No, he's, okay, there's a lot of revisionist history. See, I'm getting triggered just talking about it. We're going to have Will on the podcast before the year's over. Um, okay, Jenny Bolton. Uh, who sent me a, a lovely Christmas uh, container full of goodies that I already ate. Name a movie that makes you cry. Oh, this is going to take a while. Brian's Song. Name all the movies. <laughs> Brian's Song. Is it Brian's Song? Brian's oh, Song. God. That one is, if that doesn't get you as a human being, man, that is that is so tough to watch. I haven't watched it in probably five years. I watched it. I haven't watched it since I moved to Florida, but every single time. And it's only like 70 minutes, too. But it just gets you, that closing scene. And you're just like, these guys, they just love each other. They're just bros. James Conn. <laughs> He's so good in it, though. He's so good. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the fact that they were Bears players. I promise you, that has nothing to do with it. It has something It has nothing. No, no, no. Brian's song is an all-time. You have every reason in the world to cry while watching this movie, and you should feel absolutely no shame. So I don't feel any shame. Um, hmm. There's, I cry all the time. Pick a top three. Yeah, Marley I mean, and me. Land, land, no, Land Before Time. That was a tough one growing up. Um, Wait, and they all make sense. Marley and Me doesn't make you cry. I've never seen Marley and Me. I choose oh, not to watch movies yeah. about dogs. Yeah. That are gonna just, it's pandering. That's like the absolute, the absolute biggest travesty in in our entire existence as humans is the fact that we outlive dogs by so much. I, I said it as a joke a while back about like how if you could change one thing, like a wish, like is that dogs dogs don't die. Like it, it's so we don't deserve dogs. And it's so stupid. They only live like a max of like fifteen years. Um, anyway, I would say like yeah, Land Before Time was tough for me because I mean, growing up a single mom, that was not that was like there's so many movies like if you're a kid, it's like a single mom <laughs> that you would watch and you're like, what in the like Frozen? Frozen. The parents are gone within the first ten minutes. That didn't make me cry, but it's like. Have you seen uh, the second one yet? No, and I'm so pissed. We need to go watch. Uh, is it? Yeah. I can't. I can't wait. I heard it's really good. Um. For me, the one that, that always like I would just be an emotional mess is uh, Goodwill Hunting, and that's good. I I think a lot of you guys, especially like you know like our pod my group of people that like I'm not I'm not I don't really shy away from my feelings, and especially on social media, but just some of the stuff that that Will went through and some of the stuff that I went through growing up, very similar things, and I tell you what. I was like 19, and I, and I know this is like the ultimate like bro answer. This is like what Boondog Saints was like 10 years ago. I feel it's like oh, I love I love movies. Was it? I'm a cinephile. I love Citizen Kane and Boondock Saints, or whatever it is. Um, no, but like the first time I watched Goodwill Hunting, and it was like, oh man, there's so many things that, that seem that feel similar with why he's acting the way he's acting and not deserving love and stuff. And then he says the thing about it's not your fault, and I was like, yeah, no, I, I, oh man. That that is, I will weep. I will weep watching that. Fourth question: You're needing to get in shape bad. Where do you go? Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscles, Globo Gym, or do you take a summer getaway to Perkus Power, formerly Camp Hope? <laughs> also, which Ben Stiller gym fanatic was better? 
So this is a great question from Kirk Vickery. I, this is one of my favorite questions of the whole year, to be honest. If you're trying to get in shape, you have three options. Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscles, Globo Gym, or Summer Fat Camp at Perkis Power. Or, and also, follow-up question, which Ben Stiller gym fanatic was better? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. I, Tony Perkis is, it's all time. It is yeah. all time. That movie is so good. That's a movie that you should watch once a year. You should watch Heavyweight yeah. once a year for the rest of your life. It is not aged poorly at all. It is a movie that you can go back and watch and make fun of Lars and watch all. The, you know, I know there's we're not fat shaming. It's not fat shaming no. to to watch that movie and appreciate how what good if you it need is. To make that movie now. I I don't know how you would, but I'm glad that nobody has tried, at least to my knowledge, tried to remake that movie yeah. because it is so well done. Having said that, I didn't that, send you to go kart camp. His <laughs> dad. That part, okay, that part's like a, a borderline tearjerker. That That is yeah. tough to watch. And he's like, it's the worst. Like, they, they, they took away all the go-karts, and then he's just like on the broken down go-kart as he writes the note to his grandma. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sad thinking about it. I would go to Dwight Schrute's gym for muscles. Now, here's why. Those other two places frown upon any sort of cheat meal or eating yeah. unhealthy, and they make such a big deal of it. And it's like, how dare you ever do this? And you have to sneak your Twinkies into your pocket or whatever, and into the little Man. sockets in your bed. Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscle says nothing of that. They do Chip not discriminate against unload. any of that. So give me Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscles and give me that T-shirt. I need to get that. That's got the logo with was- Dwight flexing. So good. Yeah, I always that that always like now that I think about it, because like the Camp Hope thing when they had uh, like they're like chipmunks unload and they had like salamis like attached to it or like duct tape their back and stuff like that. That's such a funny scene. But when the guy gets caught eating the hamburger in the in like the outdoor bathrooms, like where the hell? Like how old were those burgers? Oh, they were not new. They were not. It's fresh. not easy to get to a camp. No. I mean, I'm not judging because I would eat them too, but I mean, it's just, so for me, I would say Globo Gym is where I would go. I would get so tired of hearing, like the fact that they don't, they're not playing like some early 90s LaBouche is is shocking in that setting. I just, I, I don't know how they, they managed to get away from that, but like, I would get really tired of hearing uh, Ben Stiller being like, you call that a sit-up? That would be very annoying. Also walking around in those tights, I couldn't deal with that. But that had the most machines. It had the best. That, that had definitely the best facility of all time. That was that was hands down the best. Who was the better fanatic? It's it's definitely Tony Perkis. Probably. That, I mean, there's there like you know what I wanted to do, and I've, I've tried to find this several times online for videos for like social media. But when when, <laughs> when Tony Perkis comes on stage, because everything ended so abruptly, they were like, "Hey, welcome to Fat Camp. By the way, your entire summer's about to suck." And they kick out like his parents, or whatever. But when he comes running out with like the the intro music, and he's like going down the aisle trying to give high fives, and no one gives yep. him a high five, so they'll kick the end. That's what I wanted to do for our intro at the live event. That <laughs> like, would have been like, good. <laughs> um, that was I, he was the best one. Like the whole, like lunch has been is canceled due to lack of hustle. He he was definitely better. <laughs> ben Stiller anyway, pretty got. good, and uh, people forget Ben Stiller was good in uh, Happy Gilmore as well as the, oh, as yeah. the nurse in that. Well, and Ben Stiller in, in that movie, Tony Perkis, he was. He was also playing. He played the role of his dad. This is true. This is true. Yeah, People but he was. He's that. like. He's like. Oh yeah. He's like. Wait, you know, light. Light and fixture of, of Pennsylvania. Or whatever it was. He's like the the light lighting king of Pennsylvania. Anyway, let's go to it. Might mean too much. Let's close out here. Marler is under the weather, but he's powering through just for us. 
So. It might mean too much. This is something that I think everybody could use on a Monday. Just randomly. It doesn't have to be uh, you know, celebrating anything necessarily. But I think at, at Ole Miss at the Pavilion, they were having half-price beers for the introduction of Lane Kiffin. Which, nice. if you're trying to get people in the door, props to you. If you saw the video of that. It's crazy. Monday. Monday, early afternoon, late morning, whatever it was. For a four-win team on a Monday. I'm just saying. Unbelievable really big showing. On the days, yeah. Really big on the days today. I'm very, very big on the days. To get that kind of showing for Lane's opening press conference to me was incredible. It felt like a pep, yeah. a pep rally. Don't take that for granted. Like when we say the SEC is different, that's the type of thing that we're talking about because yeah. you're not getting that if you go across the country with four win programs. Go go to UCLA. You're not getting that. Go to Michigan State. You're not getting that. Ole Miss well, is, is different. It's different in general because, like, usually you'll have, like, they'll introduce this guy at, like, a basketball game, right? We're, we're like, they'll have... they got a built-in crowd, yep. Exactly. They have a built-in crowd where people are already going to be there, so it's not going to look bad. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, welcome our new football coach, and it's just like an added bonus. Yep. This was like, hey, we're throwing a party. Yep. Y'all come on down. Like, come on down the arena, like, and this is all it's going to be. And they're like, look, is Landshark Tony going to be there? Because we can't bring the kids if he is. And they're like, Landshark Tony's going to be there. Bring the kids. Like, whatever the opposite of Ear Muffet is, blindfold. Like, so they don't have nightmares for Christmas. Yeah, they, they, they packed it out, man. It was crazy. I, and, I, you know, it, it might mean too much again. Just want to say one last thing about Landy Shark. Oh, boy. The video of uh, Landy Shark. Ole Miss fans. Like, I know some of you, especially the 12-year-olds, they called me, saw all sorts of words in the DMs about that Landy Shark video. Um, people saying like a forty-year-old made this. It was a thirty-three-year-old that does enjoy all white New Balances. Close. But yeah, I'm I, I'm not going to apologize for for my age because in the same way that you're twelve and shouldn't apologize for for yours, I guess I don't know. I do want to say though for the Ole Miss fans that took that to heart and took offense to me dubbing over and photoshopping Lane Kiffin's face over that kid singing Baby Shark. And, and found that offensive. From the bottom of my heart, I cannot tell you how much I'm not going to apologize for that. So, I hope you have a better day. I love I'll a non-apology apology from Marler. Unreal, man. 12, Unreal. Seconds, 12 seconds of my life, I'm never getting back. No. Give, me, give me those 12 seconds back, Marler. How dare no you? No chance, bro. We are still going to have a podcast on Sunday. We're going to record after the Heisman Trophy is Saturday night. We're going to record some stuff on, on Sunday. We're going to talk recruiting. we got recruiting cycle. Early signing period coming up in a hurry here. A week from today as we sit here and record this, we're going to have some some recruiting insights that we're going to get ahead on. We're going to talk a lot of different things um, as well and recap maybe some magical moments that Joe Burrow gets to have. Tom Rinaldi probably going to try and make us cry one more time. Marler, Facebook group. It is blown up still. Facebook Live. Facebook Live. Are we still doing that on Tuesday? We'll figure out the date. Okay. I, I'm, we'll figure it out. Okay. Uh, Bowl Mania. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Well, for- yeah, stay tuned for the Bowl Mania. We'll make the announcement in the actual Facebook group itself. So if you haven't joined, make sure you do that. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll make that announcement in the next week or so because the games won't start until next week. This is true. Week from uh, always a, yeah, week from that Army-Navy game. So, follow us on all forms of social media, Saturday Down South on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter, at the SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CJ O'Gara, Sick Marler, Cocho, Matt Luke, whoever we got in there. What do we need to remember? It might mean too much, guys. That was really sad, but I, I you gritted your teeth through it. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys later this weekend.